we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. food shortages, supply chain breakdowns continue to have a domino effect on everything, especially food production. Farmers can't plant as many crops now because of fertilizer shortages, forced regulations, and of course, high fuel prices. This will cause more painful food shortages when we run out of the food we're eating now. You know, food takes time to grow. So when farmers don't plant, well, months later, we don't eat. That's why you need to prepare for an increasing number of food shortages. And the best way is to invest in ready-hour emergency food from My Patriot Supply. It's a perfect hedge against skyrocketing prices and shortages. Right now, save $50 on a four-week food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and get your $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's preparewithsouthernsense.com. Those who know what's coming are getting prepared now. Well, if you don't want to type in that whole week thing saying preparewithsouthernsense.com and you're on my website, which is Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense, as in commonsense.com, you can easily click on My Patriot Supply and go directly to the website and get your $50 savings. As I'm telling you now, those who know what's coming are getting prepared right now. Shouldn't you? Prepare with southern-sense.com. That's 
southern-sense.com. Click on My Patriot Supply. Do it now. All right, and welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, on Global Enlightenment Radio, iHeart, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, Go, Stitcher, Spreaker, and what? Ever, just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the most, just the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my courageous co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. We survived Hurricane Ian. Yeah, you're right. All we got was um, some winds, but they weren't very strong. We might have got a teaspoon of rain. And um, the power went out for like about maybe less than 20 seconds, came back on. So we didn't suffer at all up here. But my heart goes out to those who were in areas that did sustain a lot of damage and even maybe perhaps some um, injuries and deaths. But um, it's over now, so we just have to pick up the pieces and, and, and you know, move on. Yeah. But we did, the- we did well. Well, it was the southern part of Florida that got hit the worst. Uh, you and I, uh, for me, I barely even had a few limbs down, but uh, a rental property I have uh, just maybe two and a half, three miles away from me, <laughs> the ground is littered with debris. So I got a lot of cleaning up to do over there. But that's what you hire people to do for you. Um, oh, is that the place we were going to stay at one time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember but, that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, we we lucked out, but there were a lot of other people that didn't. And last I heard, the uh, death toll is over 150 people, and most of them, if not all of them, died from drowning. But, you know, the irony of this whole thing, this one thing this hurricane has pointed out to people, they're pushing these electric cars on everyone. Well, check with your local fire departments. These cars that are underwater, that are electric cars, they're exploding underwater. They're causing fires. And you think you can't have a fire underwater? Yes, you can. So, whoa, oh, yeah. folks. You live in a hurricane Sorry. zone. You may not want to be buying an electric car. That might not be the best idea. Not only that, it'll short out. All that water yeah. short those batteries out. And when the batteries cost more than the car does, we'll see how fast people go snatching them up. And forget about them going onto the used car market. I mean, you take a regular gas-powered car like mine. I mean, yeah, you'd have to do some repairs on it, but you could still resell the car and still drivable. You can't redrive these these electric cars after they've been underwater. You know. Well, you know what? I would not want to have to um, flee the state in one of those things because you end up somewhere without power and no way to recharge it for like 12 hours. You're up a creek. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to say one thing, though. Um, You see the commercials for the Generac generator on on TV or you you watch it, you know, on the radio, whatever, whatever. Um, I had the Generac installed. And, man, that damn thing works good. And I did it for the whole entire house. And I could count no more than four seconds. That was the longest that I was down without power. Usually it's two seconds. I can go 1,001, 1,002. But the last time it took four seconds. 
So, wow. yeah, I mean, I, I, I am actually swearing by that. You know, you have to have some sort of a generator backup power if you live in a storm zone like we do. So I did have a small propane generator. But, you know, lugging around those big tanks and having to switch them back and forth, I didn't want to bother with it. You know, first off, I can't lift the heavy weight anymore because of my shoulder replacement being twice and my bad back. So, hey, I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to flip a switch. I don't have to do anything. The lights will flicker, and the power comes right back on. That is how easy and fast it is. It's expensive, yes, but it also increases the value of your home. Oh, Oh, yeah. And have you heard the conspiracy theories about this storm, how um, it was manufactured, and um, it was designed to take out Florida um, most of the Republicans and stuff, and also serve as a purpose so they can have an excuse to um, use mail-in ballots again because um, nobody would be able to get to any of the precincts to vote. <laughs> I tell oh, you, man. it never ends. Well, you know, what might have happened with this storm, though, is a lot of people saw how fast uh, DeSantis had emergency crews on the standby. He had them standing in the wings and saying, all right, when this hits, as soon as it, 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 it's safe for you to go in there, get the power back up. Get get the services back up right away. I mean, you've got to hand it to and, DeSantis. And, you know, this is the first time in any major disaster in the last 20 years. I haven't heard anything about FEMA being on the scene. You always hmm. usually hear FEMA, this FEMA, that. I didn't hear that in the storm. So I guess it was left to Ron DeSantis to, to maybe they want to see him fail in this disaster like Katrina and Bush. No, it's but he was on top possible. of it. Well, I just want to remind our listeners that, you know, if you are a faithful listener of the show, we start off each and every show, not with a banter like we have right now, but with a dedication to a fallen hero. We got a little sidetrack talking about Hurricane Ian, um, but today's dedication is going to go out to, let me pull up the information, Deputy Sheriff Nicholas D. West of Knox County Sheriff's Office in Illinois. His end of watch was Friday, April 29th of this year. And this is from the Police Tribune. And it reads, Knox County Sheriff's Office, Deputy Nicholas West was killed in the line of duty on April 29th when he was hit by a fleeing suspect while deploying spike strips. I believe this is the third or fourth dedication I've done to officers that were deploying these spike strips and have been killed. This is a very, very dangerous part of the job. It continues, The incident began just after 8 a.m. on April 29th when Galesburg Police Department officers were dispatched to a report of an armed suspect at a Circle K gas station on Main Street, the Register Mail reported. Two officers spotted the suspect's vehicle and attempted to stop the driver, 22-year-old Daylin Richardson, but he refused to pull over and sped off northbound on Henderson Street, triggering her pursuit, according to police. Witnesses reported seeing the suspect vehicle race through the intersection of Henderson and Fremont Street, with several Galesburg police vehicles in pursuit. 
The chase continued out of Galesburg via US-150. Deputy Wiest was deploying spike strips at the intersection of US-150 and 150 Avenue. When Richardson crashed into him, WQAD reported. The suspect's vehicle came to arrest in a field just north of the intersection, according to police. Galesburg Police Chief Russ Idle confirmed the 34-year-old deputy died as a result of his injuries. The Illinois State Police said Richardson was arrested on charges of murder, aggravated fleeing, unlawful possession of a weapon by a felon, and eluding, according to WQAD. ISP Zone 2 Commander Captain Christopher Endress said Richardson had multiple warrants out for his arrest at the time of the deadly pursuit. Deputy Wiest graduated from Western Illinois University with a degree in law enforcement and justice administration in 2009, according to his obituary. He was an intern at the Rock Island Police Department before later working as a security guard at Trinity Hospital. Deputy Weiss was hired by the Mercer County Sheriff's Department as a 911 dispatcher in 2012 and later took a position as a correctional officer at the same department. He graduated from the Illinois Police Training Institute in September of 2015 and was hired by the Aledo Police Department as a sworn police officer. Deputy Weiss simultaneously volunteered with the Viola Fire Department and spearheaded the Alito High School Police Explorers Program. He joined the KCSO as a road deputy on May 22, 2018. In addition to his patrol duties, Deputy Wiest also headed up college recruiting for the Sheriff's Office, served as the union president, and trained fellow deputies on taser handling according to his obituary. His dedication to the Sheriff's Department was unrelenting, KCSO Deputy Sean Keith said, according to the tribute. He was respectful to all people, selfless, and always took care of others before himself. KCSO Captain Brian Brady said Deputy Weiss was always looking for innovative ways to improve the department. He was a good husband and father above being an amazing cop, Captain Brady added. He never approached me with a problem without offering a solution. Deputy Weist leaves behind his wife, Jessica, and his children, 12-year-old Ava and 9-year-old Emery, according to his obituary. He's also survived by his parents, sister, grandparents, step-siblings, and in-laws. Simple words cannot express the profound grief we feel at the loss of our friend, colleague, and law enforcement brother, Nick Wiest. Illinois Fraternal Order of Police State Lodge President Chris Southwood said, according to the Register Mail, Nick died performing a job he loved, protecting the citizens of Knox County, and his heroic sacrifice will always be remembered. Illinois FOP Labor Council Executive Director Sean Roselieb said Deputy Weiss was a dedicated public service. His loss touches everyone, and he will be deeply and sorely missed, he told the Register Mail. 
every law enforcement officer knows the worst can happen every time they go to work. But heroes like Nick still put on a badge every day to serve and protect their fellow citizens, he added. Deputy Wiest was laid to rest on May 7th. From Protecting the Blue on Twitter, Rest in Peace, Illinois Deputy Sheriff Nicholas D. Wiest was murdered when he was struck by a vehicle while deploying stop sticks to end a pursuit. And from NYPD Chaplain's Unit, they post, Our thoughts and prayers are with the family, friends, and colleagues of Knox County Sheriff, Deputy Sheriff Nicholas D. Weiss, who was killed in the line of duty while deploying spike strips during a vehicle pursuit of an armed suspect. May God grant him eternal eternal peace. And finally, from the ATF headquarters, our condolences go out to Knox County Sheriff and the family and friends of Deputy Sheriff Nicholas Wiest, who was struck and killed by a vehicle as he deployed spike strips during a pursuit of an armed suspect. He served in law enforcement for four years. And now, our thoughts and prayers are with the family of Knox County Sheriff Deputy Nicholas Wiest, both blood and blue. Thank you for your service. Rest easy, hero. We'll hold the line from here. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Wiest. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate to them, to all those who serve in the military, from the birth of this great nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate this song by my friend Todd Allen Herndon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one.
just gave it to me They believe in the virtues I stand for I respect for humanity Now I'm challenged by tyrants Who envy my power But they're vicious deeds They come my finest I, I forget where Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher, Spreaker, oh, a half a dozen other places you'll find us at. Oh, just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense. Put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, you know I'm the hostess with the least most is the radio chickadee, Annie. And my co-host is scratching his head going, this woman's nuts. <laughs> Courtesy as <laughs> <has> said it. <laughs> Oh man, we got ourselves a jam up lineup today. <coughs> Excuse me, just got oh, a tickle yeah. in my throat. Uh, we got Pastor Joe Sh- uh, Sh- Schemmel. Uh He has the Good Fight Ministries. Uh, has a couple of new documentaries out. We're going to be talking about about the attack on Christianity and how it's hitting us in so many different ways. Uh, then we have coming back from Open the Books, um, Andre. J- I'm going to say this. I've known this man for going on 10 years, and I have yet to been able to pronounce his last name. Andrew Juski. Andrew Juski. All right. And then we're going to have your friend, Colonel Calvin Wimbish, who's running for Congress out of Florida District 10, joining us. And we close off the show with our guest from Heritage Foundation, Richard Stern. And we'll be talking about the appropriation bills with him and this Inflation Reduction Act, which does nothing 
to reduce inflation. So we got ourselves a good jam up show here today, Curtis. It looks like it, and I can't wait till we get started with our guests. Yeah. So uh, the pastor should be calling in in about five minutes. But in the interim, um, in Newsweek, they have a great set of articles about the upcoming midterm elections. And uh, they're using cautious optimism, you know, you know, Ronald Reagan phrase, you know, be cautious, cautiously optimistic. Um, but it looks like we're coming down to one, two, three, four, five toss-up states. Arizona is a toss-up. Georgia is a toss-up. And I think Herschel Walker is starting to make some uh, headways against Warnock there. Nevada is a toss-up. Pennsylvania is more like mm, it could possibly tilt a little bit more Republican than they anticipate. But right now that's still listed as a toss-up. And then Wisconsin, again, it could possibly tilt a little bit more Republican than they anticipate. So it may not be as much of a toss-up as they think. But these are the five states that are going to be in play. And like I said, Newsweek has a series of articles about the upcoming midterm election that are excellent. I recommend people either getting online to it, uh, to read it, or, uh, or or just getting the magazine. Because right now, let's see, they are predicting that possibly Connecticut and Washington could ride a red wave. Uh, that uh, the female candidates that are, sh- are running in there are showing, you know, good gain. So we'll, we'll get to see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Well, you can, be, you can be certain Trump will be in and out of those states um, continuously in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, now he He's has got a that kind of coming. energy. <laughs> He's got oh, that yeah. kind of energy that uh, Joe doesn't. <laughs> no. No, he does not. Sleepy he Joe. does not. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sleepy Joe. Uh, but yet, and for for a man of his age to be as spry as he is, and as active and as energetic as he is, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely amazing. Then you look at Sleepy Joe, who can't even figure out wh- which way to turn when he goes to get off stage, where he uh, looks to see if a person's in the audience who is dead. Now he was told the congresswoman <clears throat> was killed in the car wreck. And he looks at, oh, is she in the audience? What are you going to do, prop her up in the coffin? Jeez. And, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Sasquatch put in an article from Fox News about the electric cars exploding underwater because the lithium, um, when it hits water, explodes. But there's also a great article in the Epic Times, and that's where I've been reading most of the stuff. But I'm glad that other news outlets are starting to report this because that's, that's highly dangerous. Now, imagine if you're wading through the water to get to wherever you need to go, and all of a sudden one of these cars explodes next to you. Holy moly. You know? Yeah, it's not a pretty thing. Not a thought no. that no. you want to have <clears throat> passing a car that's, um, you know, idle, sitting in four feet of water or something. And you may have to go next to it without little choice to get out of the situation you're in and kapow. Yeah. Maybe it, it, get a little scary. shock. Yeah. So, yeah, Joe, yeah, we're all going to be driving these electric cars uh, by 2030. Not. Not. Wow. 
I will patch up my cars using duct tape if I have to to keep them running. Yeah. <laughs> Not. <laughs> well, I'm hearing now that um, Hunter Biden may be brought up on charges in a week or two. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah. Um, it, it appears the FBI has put out a report there's enough evidence in which to put forth an indictment. So that'll be interesting to find out if the Department of Justice actually follows through on the FBI recommendation. That's the trick question. Will the DOJ... Evidence evidence was always there. They just chose to ignore it, but it's just so much now that they they can't ignore it no more because of public outrage. So we'll see. Yep, that that definitely we will see. But did you catch that off mic moment um, when he went to uh, where the heck did he go? Was that Puerto Rico? I forget where it was. But he was caught off mic saying, "No one fucks, uh, no one f's with the Biden." Mm. You know? And they want to talk about Trump and his language. Uh, and that's what I get from the left all the time: his mouth, his language. You know, the others do it, too. They just, they don't get caught doing it, except for when the mic is hot. (laughs) You know, we do have some of the greatest listeners out here. Uh, I want to thank the guys that are here in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, up on Facebook. Got some wonderful people over there, great comments over there, uh, up on YouTube. And also on our show page, you can either listen or watch on our show page to the show. Uh, which is the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Uh, we should expect our guest to be calling in any moment now. If not, Curtis, then we'll have to call him in. Um, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things that are going on. And we've got a little more saber rattling uh, because the uh, underground pipeline. Yeah, underground oh. pipeline seems to have like little ex- explosions. And they're questioning as to who might be causing those explosions. And, you know, Putin's not going to blow up his own pipeline. That's their cash cow. They're not going to do that. So the question is whether or not we're the ones that are are blowing up the pipeline. And if we are, that's highly dangerous because then it puts Putin in such a position, the only thing he can do is retaliate. And how he retaliates? Uh, it's it's a very scary thought. It might involve nuclear options. And did you hear recently that the Biden administration was buying up a supply of radiation uh, medicine? Isn't that no. interesting? Yeah. No. And there are commercials, public announcement commercials in New York on what to do in the event of a nuclear attack. Now, that's scary. That is scary. Yeah, they plan something in the next year or two, more likely next year. Anything to take people's mind off of the elections and Trump mm-hmm. to, to take him out the news cycle and to refocus. It's like um, what they call that um, about the dog. Um, oh, wag the wag the tail. Wag the yeah, yeah, yeah. Wag the no, tail type thing. Yeah. Distraction. <laughs> Distraction, yes. yes, yes. But we were mentioning uh, your governor, DeSantis. you got to love this guy. You really do. Um, he, he turns around to the looters and says, remember, 
we're a Second Amendment uh, state. <laughs> it's like, you want to go looting? <laughs> we're a stand your ground Second Amendment state. And then he's telling law enforcement, you see looters, grab them by the collar, drag them out of there. Don't let that stuff happen here. But, you know, it's yeah. like free shopping now because, you know, people abandoned. They didn't abandon, but they had to leave behind their homes and businesses. And to someone that uh, is part of the crazy progressive crowds that are doing those massive you know, crashes into uh, the grocery stores and department stores and, and food outlets and just trashing the place and stealing whatever they can or twerking their, themselves on the the security cameras. They say, "Hey, no, we're not going to put that up. Put up with that here in the state of Florida." And I don't blame them. Leave that to California yeah, I, and New York. They deserve that. I recently, I recently sent out a video of a woman being attacked by this guy who was just stabbing her. And it was all kind of people around. There was even a guy on a motorcycle who, who thought about you know interceding, but he didn't have a weapon. Obviously, a gun and and those kind of liberal cities, they frown on people having guns, you know, that, carry, that was a, you know. That was a New York City, uh, that was a New York City uh, fire, firefighting EMT worker. Yeah, she was, and she so was, nobody She was help. a 24-year 24 24-year 24 veteran with, with the uh, fire department. She was one of the first responders at the <clears throat> Twin Towers on 9-11. And all she did was step outside for a little fresh air and I counted more than 20 stab wounds on that video. He knocked it to the ground and continued to stab her yeah. and killed her for no now, reason. No reason. Now, that was down really here, at least three guns would have been drawn on him because people do carry down here. He would have been shot. But they couldn't do anything up there. Nobody went to, to intercede. He had a knife. They had nothing. No, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call our guests. Okay, great. And I was going to mention to, to the listeners that it's reminiscent. New York City has digressed, has devolved so badly. It is reminiscent of the 1970s, where if some of you remember the national story that hit the papers that brought law and order back to New York City was Kitty Genovese, who was attacked behind her apartment building, brutally raped, and then murdered while people in the apartment buildings heard her screaming. Some of them even looked out the window and saw what was going on. And not one person picked up the phone to dial 911. No one. Kitty Genovese, look it up. This is what New York City has become. Massive numbers of Kitty Genovese being murdered on the streets. And... Somewhere along the way, New York is going to have to turn around because people are fleeing New York in droves, in droves. And what does Mayor Eric Adams do? He calls a state of emergency not because of the lawlessness on the streets and tying the hands of police officers from doing their job. He calls a state of emergency because Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott are sending their illegal migrants illegal aliens, to be correct, to New York. So he's got an influx of all these illegal aliens, which he promised to put up in hotels. I mean, these are hotels that are there. They're businesses. They're there. Those rooms make money. But if the government of New York City are putting homeless in there and putting migrants in there, 
you know, how's the, how's the, uh, the city, the, the, the hotel is supposed to make money? They don't. And who is going to book a room in a hotel that is flooded with illegal aliens and homeless? But this is New York City. So he calls a state of emergency because of the illegal migrant problem in New York City that he invited, but not for the massive crime wave that is going on under his nose. And this man was a former NYPD officer. I am ashamed that he wore the same uniform I did. That said, let's welcome to our show uh, Pastor Joe Shemo. Did I pronounce the last name correctly? Yeah, Shemo. That's that's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> How are you today? Doing well. Good to be on with you, Anne. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you with us. And uh, I was reading about your websites and the films and stuff that you your documentaries that you're putting together, and it's about time someone brings to light the the corruption of our moral and religious fiber here in our nation. And I don't think any other country is devolving religiously as much as we are. And it's time someone rings the bell and says, hey, let's get back on track. Uh, I've been saying this for years, and you're coming out with some really great documentaries showing where the corruption has come from and what it's doing to our youth. Tell us about this latest one where you're dealing with comic books. Yeah, we're actually dealing with the most powerful movie genre on earth, uh, uh, made from a lot of the comics and the comic books themselves. And because right now, the most, uh, according to the Chicago Tribune, four of the top ten money grocers of all time are uh, superhero movies. Uh, I'm saying franchises, I should say. So number one all time that's grossed more money is is the Avenger movies from Marvel. And then in the, in the top ten, there's also Spider-Man, and there's also Batman. And there's also X-Men. Two out of those three are actually from Marvel as well, but they're owned by the movie rights are owned by Sony, Amazon, and what have you. And, of course, Batman is DC. And so you have hundreds of millions of people around the world being influenced, but, of course, the kids in our nation, our nation itself. And what, we're, what I've exposed, we've been exposing, doing exposés on the uh, corruption that's going on through the media that's been influencing the nation since actually the 80s when I first put out a video called Rock and Roll Sources of the New Age Revolution, and then uh, we ended up calling it They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll in a later incarnation of that movie. But uh, one day, a couple years back, and not being a uh, connoisseur of comic books or a big fan of the Marvel movies, I'd seen some of them with my kids when they were young, trying to find something safe, but I realized that there was a lot of subterfuge even in some of the early uh, installments of, of Marvel's movies and DCs. So I backed away. I said, hey, you know what? These innocent... Uh, characters aren't so innocent because we need to start looking at who's writing these movies, who's writing these comics. And, and I was, I said a prayer before the Lord. I said, Lord, do you want me to do the same kind of expose? We did like the Kinsey syndrome and Hollywood's weren't God. They sold their souls for rock and roll. A lot of videos like that, dark secrets, secrets of Planned Parenthood. But I said, Lord, do you want me to expose? And I just put my hands in the air and cried out to him because I have kids. And then at that point, grandkids as well. I was like, it, it's the same satanic spirit that's influencing so many people through so much of this, you know, which would be naive to say it, it wasn't, but to what degree, and do you want me to expose it? Well, the next morning I woke up and it was just burning on my heart. And I can't tell you, Anne, what I found after that. I was just, I, I first uh, thing I decided to do was look at who's writing these, who, who are the top writers behind these comic heroes and characters over the last several years and who's, who's the directors and what's their worldview? What are they promoting to our young people? And Anne, I was blown away because I found out from comicreview.com 
uh, which is the biggest fanzine site on the Internet. They vote every four years for the top writers of all time. The top writer is Alan Moore. Alan Moore is a confessed follower of the uh, practitioner of the satanic, uh, Satanist Aleister Crowley's magic. And he said he caught, and he's considered by, by the way, Time Magazine, he was put in the top 100 English writers of all time. He's considered like the Shakespeare of the graphic novel uh, for comics and so forth. And I was blown away because uh, as I looked at him, I thought, wow, look. he put out the, Watch, the Watchmen movies and put out based on his comics, V for Vendetta, other popular movies. And he's the number one guy. So as I looked into him and I found out that, wow, here's a guy who goes to his lair underneath his house, worships a, 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 an entity called a glycon. It has a serpent ring. He's a Gnostic, very anti-Christ. He put out, and, a, and this is, I'm not making this up. I mean, he put out, he had a 17-year run on comics called Lost Girls. And in that, in Lost Girls, he takes prepubescent girls. Uh, he takes Wendy from Wizard of Oz. He takes, you know, Dorothy from, um, or Dorothy from uh, Wizard of Oz, Wendy from Peter Pan, Alice from Alice in Wonderland. And he has gals as young as 14 having sex with grown men, 17-year process. He was asked by BBC Hard Talk uh, television show, uh, a lot of people are saying this is child pornography. And he admitted, he said, this is pornography. He goes, but he, he mentions he can get away with it. It's legal because he's using fictitious people. So this is the kind of perversion that's being promoted by the leading, many of the leading comic writers. Not only does he say he got in contact with the demon of cinema, but he states that he is, is, he, he is the Joseph Goebbels, and, and you know his name, propaganda minister of uh, the Nazis under Hitler. He says, I'm the Joseph Goebbels of art. And if you move to number two, you're talking about Grant Morrison, and he's the number two on the all-time list right now. And he is also an admitted follower of the magic or practitioner of Crowley's, the Satanist Crowley's, Alistair Crowley's magic. And I, we show, we have a clip of him with a ton of kids, you know, you know, screaming their braces off because he's like, you know, the, the Beatles to them. And he, has, he puts a big picture of the Satanist Alistair Crowley up, who is most highly regarded Satanist of of all time, or at least the last couple hundred years, and he has 666 under him, and he says, you guys, how do you think I got, got where I'm at? If you guys want to, you know, you guys need to get his books and practice his magic that he teaches them how to do spells. This is the number two guy, and by the way, uh, there's, and there's a man by the name of, he was a BBC presenter, talk show guy for some time, and his name is uh, Richard Metzger, and that was at the Disinfo conference. And Richard Metzger stated that Grant Morrison is a good friend we let speak there. Uh, he says that he sends candy-coated bullets to his comics into the heads of children, and pa- parents are none the wiser, get nice and blanked up. So these guys know what they're doing. Uh, so these are the top two. I, I, I just gave you the top two as a, a bird's-eye view, but the last two videos, since you had mentioned what videos we, movies we put out recently, we put out about four and a half, five months ago, uh, we have a series called Marvel and DC's War on God, and we put out two of those uh, movies now, one four and a half months ago and one just recently. The recent one is called as, as Aleister Crowley, Doctor Strange, and, uh, this, uh, and basically it's it, Marvel and DC's War on God, Aleister, uh, Doctor Strange, Aleister Crowley, and the Multiverse of Satanism. The other one came out a few months before that. And that one is Marvel and DC's War on God, Antichrist Agenda. And we show riveting, we show interviews, we show from their own words, we show scenes and how they're articulating their worldview. And I think a really good example of that would be uh, the Ultron movies or some of the Avenger movies done by 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and so forth, done by Josh Whedon. Josh Whedon is a leading director, and he wrote Agents of Ultron. I'm sorry, uh, uh, he's been the director of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and so forth, but he also uh, got an interview, or sorry, a a memorial, not a memorial award, an Outstanding Lifetime Achievement Award, I should say, for his cultural humanism at the Harvard University Memorial Church. And there he said, how do we, can we show a video of this? How do we codify our moral structure without the sky bully, speaking of God, looking down on us and telling us what we're supposed to do? Now, what's interesting, in, agents, uh, in a, um, Avengers Age of Ultron, Ultron is like a picture of Christ. It says, upon this rock I'll build my church. talks about, you know, uh, bringing judgment like God did in the days of Noah, these kinds of things. Yet he's made to be the sky bully, and he's made to be the evil one, and the comic heroes and everybody joins together to fight against him, kind of like an Armageddon scenario. But God is the evil one, and Josh, Wedding, uh, Josh Whedon and, and the comic characters are the good guys. So this is being played out over and over and over again, and as these men are conditioning our children uh, to accept evil, to hate on God, and, and to immerse themselves in the occult. You know, uh, I think back to my childhood when we were wa- reading the comic books. They were nothing like that. I mean, they knew they were doing it for kids. It was innocent. And the good guys were really good guys. And it was on the side of justice and freedom. But this is not what it is now. It's, it's more or less do whatever feels good to you. And and don't let anyone stop you. You know, things that are good are bad. Things that are bad are good. It's as if everything has been turned upside down. And we've been seeing this seep in through Hollywood. And I think because people are accepting it in Hollywood, the comic book people said, hey, listen, we can get away with it on the adult TV, so now let's reach out for the kids. Let's now go also after the cartoons, too. So let's alter the cartoons, let's alter the comic books, because Hollywood opened the door for this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There were definitely, we show the history of, of Marvel and, and DC and so forth, and, and they came under a lot of scrutiny early on because of Senate. Uh, it, uh, it was basically, you know, the Senate looked into them and so forth, and, they, and a lot of comic companies actually closed their doors because of their perversions. But Marvel and DC said, okay, hey, wait, 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 don't close us down, you know, we're going to police ourselves, and they con- uh, created the comic book code, them and some other in the comic book industry, where they went uh, glorify evil characters, where they went promote the occult and so forth. Well, they jet- since that time, they've all jettisoned that code. I mean, Marvel and DC have, are no longer under that code. Uh, not that they weren't doing some nefarious things anyway, but you're right, it's gotten incredibly, it's gotten very dark. In fact, as you know, you know Marvel, uh, DC, or Disney, I should say, owns Marvel right now, and Disney's on this all-out attack. I mean, they just had an executive, you know, uh, Latoya Raveno. She was a, as a TV animator, and it was exposed a few months ago because in her Zoom call with other leaders in Disney, she talked about they're not all secret or they're not at all secret agenda, gay agenda, and how she says, you know, she was basically adding queerness and that no one was stopping me. You know, no one was even trying to stop me promoting uh, this whole mentality among the young people. And we just had a new one come out from Disney. It's FX, but uh, FX is owned by Disney. It just came out. It just started airing about a month and a half ago or so. It's called Little Demon. And it's where Satan is made to be a cool guy. And the Antichrist is his 13-year-old child. And then the mother, played by Aubrey Plaza, she's a Wiccan witch, sacrificing animals, 
Satan talks about, hey, let's go sacrifice some children. It's all, and this is directed, well, they say, oh, it's mainly for adults, but guess what? The main character is the 13-year-old Antichrist, a little girl who has all these magic powers. But Aubrey Plaza, just as LaToya from uh, Disney said they're putting queerness everywhere, basically no one's trying to stop them. Aubrey Plaza, who plays the Wiccan Witch, uh, in an interview with the cast, she said, I love, she was asked about how, how is it to play the, the mother of the Antichrist? Isn't that an, in kind of a, because she had sexual relations with Satan, and isn't it kind of a complex role? She forgets the question. She has to ask later on, what was the question? Because she wants to say this. She says, I love that we are normalizing paganism. And by the way, Aubrey Plaza is a Wiccan witch. So these, so parents have, are so often, it's so heartbreaking because parents are so often clueless as to how their children are being programmed by programs. And then they wonder, wow, why does my child not want to go to church anymore? But it's practicing witchcraft or embracing, uh, you know, homosexuality or what have you. You know, it's because there is a heartbreaking assault on the hearts and minds of our children. And, and that's why, you know, when you mentioned, you know, making these videos, this is why we've made these exposés. We've seen, been able to see thousands, tens of thousands of people come to Christ through our first video. They sold their souls for rock and roll then so many years ago. But so many people are using these videos to wake up the young people to show a Christian worldview, to show that we are created by God, that we've fallen, that we need to know where we come from, and we need to be restored through faith in Christ, where we're going, that we have hope as, as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that the only hope in this world is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that there is, as you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Isaiah chapter 5, you were mentioning how good will be called evil and evil will be called good. And it says, I'll put darkness for light and light for darkness. And that was happening in Isaiah's day. But Second Peter chapter 2 says that just as they did that in the past, he says they'll do that again in the future. And that's what's happening today, unfortunately. Well, this isn't something that's occurred overnight. Was, they took prayer out of the school. They said, oh, no, no, you're not going to have a prayer anymore uh, much now they take the Pledge of Allegiance out, but uh, you can't. It'll be a moment of silence. So instead of prayer, it'll be a moment of silence, and then that led to, oh, I'm not going to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance to no longer doing the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, you you see it at the, a lot of sports; they no longer play the national anthem at the start start of games, or if they do, it's not broadcast. They've been doing this, chipping at us, not just for. A decade. This is going on for decades, going back to the late 50s, 60s, even earlier than that. The movement to erect statues to Satan, to remove the Ten Commandments from public view, to remove any sign of Christianity from public view. You had a bunch of Muslim students protesting at Catholic University because there was crucifixes and signs of Jesus all throughout the university. Well, it's a Catholic university, and you're a Muslim attending a Catholic. What do you think you're going to see? And they have been chipping away at it, chipping away at it, chipping away at it, and turning our own Constitution against us and allowing the courts to misinterpret the Constitution. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Uh, you know, it's, you said it's been going on for some time. And, there, you know, obviously there's been some, uh, you know, dark forces at work. You can go way back into the 30s with the creation of even Wonder Woman. And these are, you know, these are the, the heroes of today for the young people as they make these big movies. But uh, it's interesting because William Marston, he was the uh, gentleman who, if I can call him that, 
uh, who came up with a Wonder Woman, but he was polyamorous. He had different women that he considered his wives. Uh, Elizabeth Barston was his legal wife, but he had another woman who was an occultist. He had another woman named Oliver Byrne, and they would go to these sex magic rituals way back then, and Oliver Byrne and happened to be the uh, niece of Margaret Sanger, who eventually, through her work, the butcher of about 70 million children has taken place. Well, this is the crazy thing, is Oliver Byrne, who was the niece of Margaret Sanger, uh, many don't know this, this is uh, brought out, even it's been pointed out because uh, the archives have been gone through that belong to William Marston, who created uh, Wonder Woman. A lot of people had a hard time with Wonder Woman early on, even in the 30s and 40s, because she she's whipping other girls, you know. They thought, wow, this is like some kind of strange, you know, lesbian sadomasochism. Uh, she, they're, they're spanking each other. They're, uh, you know, they're, her, her, very, her very slogan that she would say uh, came from a word that we get lesbian from, you know. It's just interesting because what happened was uh, William, William, uh, William Marston admitted to those who were drawing the pictures and doing it that this is crazy, but this is the reality. People could look it up that Wonder Woman was made in the image of Margaret Sanger. Of course, he couldn't say that early on because of the controversial. Margaret Sanger was very controversial. But now you have Wonder Woman in the comics uh, in lesbian relationships. Uh, she officiates weddings where she marries other women together. Uh, this is what this is a fair that children are reading today. And uh, the people behind these characters have just brought them all, you know, not that they were in the closet, but they were in some ways as for instance, uh, Wonder Woman, but they're basically using these characters to create a narrative uh, as to what we should value and what we should not value. And the thing is, we shouldn't value righteousness. We shouldn't value, you know, worshiping and knowing God, but we should value, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Anne, uh, you know, do your own thing, which, by the way, comes from Satanist Aleister Crowley, whose maxim was, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And he's, he is getting promoted through popular music, his teachings, his Satanism, uh, and through popular comics. and, and through, In fact, as we're talking right now, there's a, a situation going on where the very popular comic character Flash, uh, who's in the DC comics, in, in the big you know, uh, DC Superman and, and Batman movies, the man Ezra Miller, who is playing Flash, uh, who played Flash in those movies recently, he's in the upcoming movie that's supposed to be released in June called Flash as Ezra Miller playing Flash. Well, guess what? Ezra Miller practices chaos magic, and he's a follower of, uh, influenced by the teachings by, of Satanist Aleister Crowley. He has groomed, uh, allegedly, this came out in Vanity uh, Fair magazine just about uh, two weeks ago now, been grooming kids as, long, as young as 12 years old who he's had, and some of these young people uh, are in his, uh, living with him. They're all a little older now, uh, and he has an altar whereby he has figurines of Flash where he uh, practices chaos magic. Now, I mentioned, Anne, that, there, that Alan, or I'm sorry, Grant Morrison is number two in the all-time list of comic writers. He, he promotes pop magic and tells people if you want to get in touch with the ancient deity god Hermes, he says put images of Flash before you to invoke these spirit entities. And he talks about through invoking these spirits, you can become, uh, you know, you can, he says, for instance, if you want to get Flash and you want to contact the spirit of Hermes, take pictures of Flash, play Ray of Light because light is fast and by Madonna, 
take dope. The dope uh, takes speed because it's associated with speed. So you can invoke these entities. I'm not making this stuff up. This is what they're teaching young people. And this gets even crazier because the biggest actor of the last 10, 15 years, and is been Robert Downey Jr. Well, Robert Downey Jr. said that he got the part uh, when he first came out, and people missed the interview. I mean, I was shocked to see that it wasn't reported over and over again because when I was doing my research, I was, wow, Robert Downey Jr. talks about when he wanted to get the part for Iron Man. He said, I practiced my lines in like three different ways, every line in three different ways, so uh, whatever way they wanted, I'd be able to deliver it. And he was considered kind of as a loser and an actor just prior to that because of all his times in and out of jail. He got canned just after a year with Saturday Night Live. And he said, but I also, he said, I practiced the most intense magical ritual I ever practiced in my life. He said, I got a sunstone wand. He said, I built an altar. He said, uh, if Aleister Crowley had a little brother, I was the blank. And I'm telling you right now, the Bible says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual witness in high places. It's a spiritual war, and there are satanic forces at work using people to manipulate us and our children to steer us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we need to stay in the Bible. We need to get in God's Word. And if people want to look at our videos, they want to order any we have, they could just simply go to Margaret, I'm sorry, MarvelDCExposed.com, MarvelDCExposed.com, and they can just watch them right there or, you know, rent them as cheap as three ninety nine. And if people are like, man, I don't have any money, write into us at goodfight.org, and uh, we'll give you a free code. But if you can afford it, praise God. If you can't, we just want people to see the truth. Well, you've got an a uphill battle here because uh, we're getting uh, attacked in all different areas of our life and society. We're even having churches being ripped apart uh, because progressives will say, well, no, you, you have to – reinterpret the Bible. No, the Bible is what the Bible is. No, no, it's a different age, so you have to adjust for it. And we're being attacked in so many different areas. We need someone to help show us the light, and you're going to do that with these uh, movies, and I want to thank you for that. Well, I'm so happy to have been able to be on your show and and, uh, contribute to people seeing the light. You know, the Bible says we're not supposed to be conformed to the world, so but to make sure that as churches, as those who follow Christ, that uh, we cannot uh, be conformed to the world system. It says don't be conformed to the world or don't let, one translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So it's important that we are in the scripture, that we pray for our children, we speak to the, tr- the truth and love to them, that we let them know who Christ is and that, uh, that we let them know that all this other stuff leads to darkness. Uh, the one thing that people are experiencing, young people, they realize there's no stability. They have their, their feet planted in, in midair. There's no way to have a foundation with all these lies, and they're left empty and so forth. So we share with them who the ultimate superhero is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the difference between Jesus and these superheroes is that Jesus is real. You know, our whole calendar, you know, B.C. and A.D. surrounds is, is based on his very existence, and he transforms our lives and we can know him. He created all things. Uh, these other fictitious superheroes can't compete with him. Well, Pastor Joe, I want to thank you for joining us. And God bless you for the hard work you, they do. People can find you at goodfight.org. Thank you for joining us. That's right. Thanks for having me. God bless you. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. Check it out, goodfight.org. I want to bring back onto the show our buddy, Adam, from Open the Books. 
And you know, Adam, I'm going to mess up your name no matter how much I practice it. And you've been on the show over the last 10 years multiple times, and I still can't pronounce your last name. So beat me up, please. Hey, it's okay. Angie Epsky, it's not easy, that's for sure. Um, but what folks need to remember is not my last name. It's openthebooks.com. That's where the repository of virtually every dime taxed and spent at every level of government across the whole country is sitting right there. So you can search it for free on our website. Absolutely. And we've been talking about this ever since I've, I've had the pleasure of having you on the first time. But, you know, uh, it's amazing how many investigations you do per year. And so far this year, uh, you're up to 382 out of 500. So you've got another 118 to go. Uh, so in order to do these investigations, it requires money because you're a nonprofit. So you rely on people passing the word, going to your website, and making a small donation, right? Absolutely. We accept no government money, zero. We're 100% privately funded, and so we're funded through people. We're funded through the generosity of the American people because they want to follow the money, and we make it really easy. Like I say, at OpenTheBooks.com, one, uh, one unique data set we have there is we have virtually every single public employee in, the, in America's K-12 school districts across the country, their name, their position title, and how much they made last year. So remember last fall when Merritt Garland, the U.S. Attorney General, sicked the FBI on parents at school board meetings? Well, that, you know, all of us, it's incumbent upon us, come to our website, look at your local district on who's making how much, and give public comment at your next school board meeting. Even if you don't have kids in school, get involved your school board because you, your taxes... The money you you pay in your property tax, you know, the grocery store, all on the way, that funnels into the school district. So your money is funding whatever programs the school district has. So you have a, you have skin in the game. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, all of us are paying a tremendous amount of taxes, and really, we ask one question of the spending at OpenTheBooks.com: What government program is running well? So we open the books, we audit the books, and our audits make national news. And I have to tell you, we've never found one single time in the last eight years of auditing government spending a government program that's actually running well. Go figure. Go figure that one. Right now, uh, we're going after uh, our county council who's trying to institute a tax to purchase open green space. But when they say green space, they're also including buying buildings to take them off the market. And we've already have two programs, one a nonprofit and one a county run. They want to eliminate those two that are successful to put in a tax. Wait a minute, we're already paying for these programs already, so we don't need an additional program. You're asking us for more money for something we're already doing. It's crazy, and if we don't pay attention, you're there to catch us. Well, government at all levels is have grown substantially over the course of the last two decades, the last 20 years. And look, it's Republicans and Democrats that have spent too much of our money. I mean, just think about this. In the George W. Bush administration, the national debt was just shy of $6 trillion. Today, yesterday, the national debt passed $31 trillion. That's a 5 
That's a five-time increase in just the past 20 years. And it was Bush the Republican, Obama the Democrat, Trump the Republican, followed by Biden the Democrat. So RD, RD, both parties spent way too much, and our national debt is north of $31 trillion. And growing. And growing. Now, um, you have a bunch of articles that are really fantastic up out there uh, on OpenTheBooks.com. And one of them caught my eye. Uh, was about the Capitol Police on January 6th. And we found some, or you found, some very, very interesting things that were going on that day that just did not seem to hit the media. I mean, what was this where there was gear locked in a bus and some of the shields were shattered on impact when they weren't to use them? Uh, Other officers were not actually on the scene. They were teleworking. I mean, what is going on here? Yeah, I'm just going on memory now because it's going back to a story that I published at Forbes about a year ago. But the findings were pretty extraordinary. For instance, I think it was one out of every five officers in the Capitol Hill police force in a 24-hour period around January 6th, they were never even on the Capitol grounds. So, you know, I mean, the first rule of thumb, I've got three teenage daughters. The first rule we tell them is just show up. The Capitol Police on the biggest day in Capitol Police history, like one-fifth of them, one-sixth of them, they never even showed up. They weren't even around. You know, it's, this is crazy because the poorly used equipment, poorly maintained equipment, that's a huge no. Um, they've got a $464 million uh, budget a year, uh, but they're now bringing in an additional $150 million to bring the budget over $600 million for this year. And what is some of this going to? A diversity office. I'm sorry. We had a saying, blue is blue. What, what do you care what the diversity is? You're out there to keep the peace and enforce the law. What do you care who, who's standing next to you? You're, blue is blue. Well, yeah, those are, those are good words, that's for sure. So, look, you know, um, and then, look, we think transparency revolutionizes United States public policy and politics. So we just published two weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal a full-page editorial detailing the government's war on transparency. You know, politicians, they run on transparency, but once elected, they typically run away from the issue. And we did detailed out at the Wall Street Journal some outrageous instances. And I'll just, you know, here, here's just one of them. The Biden administration and the 122 executive agencies, there's about 1.45 million federal bureaucrats, and they're redacting the names of 350,000 of them from our payroll request. Now, during the Obama administration, they redacted 2,300 of them, and we, we thought that was outrageous. The Biden administration has put the redactions on steroids 350,000 names are redacted from the responsive payroll records, and we estimate that's $30 billion of payroll that's hidden in the swamp. Wow. Wow. Well, one of the things that you, you, you wrote about was about the, the soaring, soaring budget under the Biden administration and how much they spent. Uh, last year alone, 220 staffers quit. They've had more staff than any other previous president. 
This is, so this the is Biden, amazing. Yeah, the, the White House payroll. So no president has ever had a staff north of 500 employees. In Biden's first year, he had 560 staffers on payroll. Uh, now, they had huge turnover from year one to year two. They had about 40% turnover. So it's absolute chaos at the Biden White House when four out of every 10 employees, they didn't last a full 12 months. That's crazy. That is crazy. And uh, now what I've found also is the offices of the First Ladies, the number of people that uh, they employ. Well, the First Lady that set the high water mark on staff, of course, was Michelle Obama. I think after the, after the end, end of her first year as First Lady, she had 24 staffers. Uh, Melania Trump, I think at the end of her first year, had about five or six. And Jill Biden has, if I'm going on memory, maybe 12. But um, she's not near, she doesn't have nearly the staff of Michelle Obama. But, but who did, you know? I mean, she, Michelle Obama took a lot of heat for that, and rightfully so. Yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal stuff that's, that's going on. And, I, and it's just going deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm looking at some of the numbers comparing Trump, where the budget went down, and Biden, the budget goes up. Obama, the budget was way up. And Trump is the only one that actually started cutting it and cutting back staff. This is Well, he, he did, but in the end, because of the pandemic, the swamp won. So on Trump's signature promise to drain the swamp, over a four-year period, the swamp grew by about 50,000 positions. So the swamp took on Trump, and in the end, with the pandemic, the swamp won. Mm. And some of the salaries, some of the assistance to the president uh, get, now, it, it's been about average, about between 20 and 24 as each, Biden, Trump, and Obama, around that area. But this year, 20 of these guys make over, make over 180 and two of them make $168,000. And you, the key advisors you got here is Ron Klein, Karine Jean-Pierre. Oh, is that a, a worthless person right there? <laughs> I wouldn't give her $35,000 a year for that job she's doing. Uh, Jacob Sullivan, Kate Bedingfield, uh, Mike Donnellan, and Steve Ricchetti. So the person in the... Biden White House that makes the most money, more than we've ever seen all the way back to 2009. Uh, that's the latest payroll. That's the earliest payroll that we're holding. So nobody ever made $300,000 working for the president. Well, Francis Collins, he's the immediate past director of the National Institutes of Health. They're Fauci's employer. So Francis Collins was Fauci's boss. Well, Francis Collins took a leave of absence from NIH goes over to work for Biden to head up his COVID response team. He's making $300,000. And the president has announced that, that the COVID-19 pandemic is over. And, he's, and Collins is still over there making $300,000. Tremendous amount of money. Well, talk about Fauci. <laughs> now, if you say Fauci to Peter Navarro, watch him explode. I love doing that to a poor guy. <laughs> um, you found that uh, his net worth during the pandemic soared between 2019 and 2021 
his net worth is now $12.6 million. Now, we talk about Pelosi and Schumer getting rich, you know, as elected officials. This is an unelected civil servant who earns more money a year than the president of the United States. He's the highest paid federal employee. How the heck so did we, he pad his money up another $5 million? So we wrote that story in January 2021 that Fauci out-earned everybody, four-star generals in the United States military, and all 4.3 million of his colleagues at the federal level. If Fauci was number one, this year on base salary alone, he made 480 grand. Well, two weeks ago, we broke a massive story that Fauci's net worth from January 1st, 2019 through the end of 2021, increased by $5 million. He went from $7.6 million to $12 million in the years surrounding the pandemic. So everyone had kind of a, you know, everyone wanted to know how Fauci, I mean, this has been the big question for a couple of years now. How did from the pandemic, we put up a piece on our Substack, like I said, it was national news, uh, we show exactly how Fauci pulled it off. Now, he he has his salary. He also gets benefits. Um, he has now also been giving, um, what do you call it, royalties for some of the things that come under his purview for approval. Somehow that he's getting royalties from that. Uh, he's, he's raking it hand and over fist. Not just him, but his wife, too. Well, many people don't know that Fauci's wife is the chief bioethicist at Fauci's employer, the National Institutes of Health. And while Fauci out-earns the president, she out-earns the vice president. Last year, she made 238000 And the Fauci's live a conflict of interest. The dinner table at home. So while he was crafting the pandemic policy response for the country, she was backstopping his policies with with ethics research. Uh, And so, look, the two Fauci's, this needs to be investigated by Congress. Uh, You know, during the pandemic, they were Washington, D.C.'s absolute power couple. You know, it's really, uh, the arrogance of Fauci is absolutely stunning because there were some news reports that have now been leaking out of statements he said, like, watch me tell these morons, uh, if you double mask, you're going to be okay, and watch the whole nation just follow suit. There was no science behind it, and yet he's the man known as Mr. Science. When they have him in writing and in recordings, making fun of the American people, calling them morons, saying, well, if I tell them to do this, they will follow suit. Well, you know, here's a massive driver of his net worth increase, to, you know, of $5 million over the course of the last three years. He, Fauci actually earned a million-dollar prize from a foreign nonprofit at the Dan David Foundation in, uh, in Israel. They're affiliated with Tel Aviv University, and it was a million-dollar prize for, quote-unquote, speaking truth to power during the Trump administration – and for defending science during the Trump administration. And now you got Fauci just this just last month appearing, you know, at conferences lamenting that when he talked about the science, he wished he was a little more accurate. 
And but yet the establishment always takes care of their own. They confer the titles, they confer the awards, and they confer the cash if you if you help the status quo. And that's exactly what Fauci did. He helped the status quo, and so they're taking care of him. Now, there have been you know several times he's appeared before the Senate and Congress. And he went before Senate Roger Marshall, who got into a heated debate over his uh, his financial disclosures. And Fauci turns around and calls the senator a moron. Now, wait a minute. Wasn't there a number of years ago uh, when a general uh, uh, addressed, was it Senator Feinstein? And she corrected him when he said... He was addressing her formally, properly, as you would address a woman. But she was, I'm a senator, and berating a general. Now, here you've got a civil servant berating a senator. And no one says anything about that. So that was a national news story, though. And that was Fauci's code red moment. And our auditors at OpenTheBooks.com, my column at Forbes, we had a big stake in that moment. So when U.S. Senator Roger Marshall questions Fauci for five minutes on his finances. You know, that was our, he cites Forbes, which was my VIN column at Forbes. Uh, Fauci, you know, obviously melted down in that hearing, but not before he misled Congress, misled the senator, and misled the American people. He said that my finances are public knowledge. And Marshall knew this. They weren't public knowledge because we'd been suing for them for the previous year. And NIH, they admitted to holding 1,200 pages of its finances, and they wouldn't turn it over but for a federal lawsuit. And we still hadn't received production at the time of that hearing. So his finances weren't publicly available. So what was reported two weeks later is Fauci goes back to the office. The Washington Post reports that he told his employees, well, uh, my finances are supposed to be publicly available, but maybe they're not as easy to find as what they should be. Do you think? You know, this is it is stunning because I have like little scribbles all over the paper from this article, circling everything, and just I'm going shaking my head. But this is our swamp run amok. And I mentioned the perks and benefits uh, that he's giving. You write it's estimated over two hundred and eight, almost two hundred nine thousand dollars for what he's going to be getting, because federal employees get paid time off, subsidized health care, pension benefits, and a myriad of other uh, uh, quirks here. Um, For example, just after three years, a rank-and-file employee receives 44 days of paid time off. Now, you've got to consider that. Fauci's been on the job for 55 years. Multiply 44 days by 55 years. That's a lot of time off. That's a month and a half. Most people get two weeks. Yeah, to his credit, I don't think he gets sick too much either because he looks like he's in pretty good shape. So he's probably got massive uh, PTO uh, accounts that have been built up over the years. Um, Look, he says he's going to retire now in December. Uh, President Biden has accepted his resignation. So we crunched the numbers in the first year of his retirement. He's going to receive a golden parachute retirement first-year pension, the largest in federal history. It'll be north of $375,000 a year, nearly, not quite, but nearly as much as what the president makes on salary. That number is four hundred grand a year. 
And over the first three years, it'll be well over a million dollars he gets. Now, yeah, well his, over a million dollars. Now, did you do a calculation on his wife's pension benefits? If if she would retire with him at the same time? No, we we haven't done that. But um, but looking at Fauci, uh, there's also a transparency problem at the federal level when bureaucrats or your member of Congress when they retire. So when they retire, the payout amount, incredibly, is not subject to the Federal Freedom of Information Act law. We need to change the law. It's actually, people have sued under it, it's gone under appeal, and the appeals courts have ruled that they don't have to disclose their retirement annuities. Now, even in the union stronghold states like Illinois, New York, California, Oregon, for crying out loud, when a public employee retires, we can see their retirement pension amount. And that's because taxpayers help fund it, we guarantee it, and we deserve to see it. It's the only fair way to debate pay perks and pay in perks. We have to, everything has to be on the table, and federal benefits like pension payouts, including Fauci's, or like I say, you're a member of Congress, when they retire, we deserve to be able to see it. Well, you know... Uh, I got to love you because you are the king of the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act request. And uh, you had posted a a letter to the taxpayers, and it was rather clever, I thought, um, where you had the Office of Personnel Management redacted over 350,000 federal executive agency employee names from the request, uh, which totals approximately $30 billion in compensation. And you go on and, and cite all these times that you've run into roadblocks. Um, what was one of those that was the hardest that you did overcome that you were so proud of? So I would say that's the state of California. So for the past 10 years, it's been a knockdown, drag-out dogfight, a bare-knuckles brawl to open the line-by-line spending in the Golden State. We had collected this at the federal level since 2001, 49 out of the 50 states. We had to sue Illinois and Wyoming back in the day for their checkbooks and won. So we had 49 out of 50 states. California was a lone holdout. We went over 10 years, we went through two California controllers. Betty, Betty Yee was the last one. We sued her in 2020 in a Sacramento Superior Court. We lost. The judge bought her argument that even to produce a single spending transaction, and she admitted to paying 50 million bills last year, but even to produce one of them was an undue burden on our office. So we pivoted to plan B, and we filed 442 sunshine requests with every single California state agency. They produced their spending, and we compiled the California checkbook like a jigsaw puzzle. So we did what the governor, what two controllers, what the attorney general of California, who backed the controller in court, what the state lawmakers, what the state bureaucrats, and what the state judge refused to do. We opened the line-by-line spending in the state of California for the first time in history. That's amazing. When I read that and we talked about it a couple of weeks back, I, I found that absolutely amazing, that you're, you're not even close to the administrative size of the federal government or California. 
but yet you were able to do something that they claimed they couldn't, and the judge said, no, 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 and decided on your behalf, saying, if this guy can do it and he's not even part of the government, why can't you? Yeah, and and it gets a little crazier because since 2005, California has spent $1.1 billion to create a transparency and accountability portal. And they still couldn't produce their line-by-line state expenses. So we did it in four months, and we put it up, along, like I say, alongside the other 49 states, the federal government, and 15,000 local units of government that we get their checkbooks as well. <laughs> now, you know, with the new information age, do you see this becoming a little bit easier because in this letter you put out to the Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayer, you talk about Mark Mill's book. Tell us what you and he think is going to be the future. Well, you know, it's a, you know, America's the shining city on a hill and it's morning in America, just, just like what Ronald Reagan said. And so Mark Mills is a social scientist and a big data guy. And, and he believes that we're in for another, quote-unquote, industrial-type revolution. They were just on the cusp here of the electronic revolution that will remake the entire world again. So there's a lot to be hopeful and optimistic about all of our futures, and I think we need to cast off the pessimism. We need to reclaim freedom and liberty. It's going to be a bright future. I was just – I just spoke at the Reagan Ranch, and as a part of that, with Young America's Foundation, I got a tour of – the Reagan Ranch, and I can tell you that Reagan took down the Soviet Union with less technology. We have more technology in our pockets. The technology in our pockets is more powerful than what Reagan had at his disposal to take down the Soviet Union back in the day without firing a shot. So I'm very hopeful about the future. I believe America's best days are still ahead of us, like always, like in every generation. And I, I think that we're going to turn the page here and see those days. Now, I found it interesting uh, because I was responding to an editorial in one of my local papers where this gentleman was supporting the student loan forgiveness. And I, was, I had been talking to a friend of mine, which helped me form the editorial, where I talked about uh, doing something with the college and university endowments giving them maybe a tax incentive to use more of that endowment rather than to puff up the sports or their science labs or whatever, but to put it towards student tuition to make it more affordable for kids that qualify for that college to be able to attend. And you wrote an interesting article about what you feel we should be looking at and doing with uh, these endowments. So, you know, the eight schools of the Ivy League have an endowment of nearly $200 billion. And we forecast by 2046, their endowment problem is going to be a lot larger. It'll be a trillion-dollar endowment at the current gift and give rates. So they've got all the money in the world, and yet their tuition costs are, are the highest. And they keep pushing up the tuition. Everybody else follow suit and pushes up their tuition. Um, Everybody's winning at this college and university game except the students who are saddled with massive long-term student debt. 
And so what Biden did is, you know, he eased the burden on students. You know, it's probably an illegal action, what he took. This will be tested in the courts and probably reversed. But, um, but, he, did nothing, but he did nothing to cap student tuition costs going forward. So the problem is only going to keep going. He did nothing to fundamentally reform the system. Well, can the system be reformed? And can we go with an idea like I had, you know, uh, tying tax incentives to use the endowments towards, you know, lowering student tuition? Well, there is a law that was passed in 2017 by the Republican Congress within the within the jobs within the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 passed in December of that year. And tucked in there was a provision. And the Boston Globe gave our organization at OpenTheBooks.com credit for what the Republicans tucked in there. And it's a, it's a clawback tax on colleges and universities with excessive endowments that aren't spending their endowments but are hoarding their endowments. So unless they spend down their endowments, now they're hit with a 1.7% excessive endowment tax. Now, a lot of people think 1.7%, that's way too light and should be expanded. And that would be up to, you know, if Republicans win in November, you know, that would be up to uh, the House and the Senate to re-examine. Well, it's interesting. It is, it is very, very interesting. And I'm telling, I always tell people to go to OpenTheBooks.com and find out what's going on. And I have been meaning to go after my county uh, council here, so I haven't. I, I, I'm busier than a one-armed paper hanger at times. So forgive me if I don't if I don't get over to that stuff fast enough. But you know, people need to go to it to see what is going on in the state, uh, not just the federal, but the state and local uh, governments, and try to rein in. Uh, the overextension they have. I was reading an article in uh, Newsweek that now states are looking at doing lowering their income taxes because you have some t- states that are zero income tax, and this means that those governments have to pare back their budgets to make ends meet. Uh, do you see more transparency coming in the future because the states doing things like that? Look, at the, at the local level, the state level, and the federal level, everyone's spending too much. The, uh, in the affordable, in the, uh, in the American Rescue Act, which was passed about 18 months ago, every Democrat voted for it, every Republican voted against it. Tucked in that $1.8 trillion bill was $350 billion to bail out states and localities. So... You know, like the red state of Utah, they were running a $1.5 billion budget surplus, and they got bailed out through that bill for another $1.5 billion. Yet Texas, they were running a billion-dollar surplus, and they were actually bailed out for $17 billion. The, uh, you had California, they were running a $75 billion budget surplus, they ran it again this year, about another $75 billion. They were bailed out for $26 billion of our money in the Golden State. They can't make the argument they needed the money. Yet, nobody, nobody sent the money back to Washington, D.C. The red states took it, and the blue states took it as well. Uh, and it's our tax dollar, folks. This is, this is our money that's being played around with. And 
to us, it's just business as usual. But that's not true. It's not business as usual. This is not what our founders anticipated. It should have been a limited federal government, and everything should be da- then regulated to the states. But it's so easy today to say, well, the federal government can take care of it. It's not, you know, it's not our, our money coming directly out of pocket. So the federal government's going to pay for it. Oh, no, wait a minute, folks. It is your money. It is your money. And this is what you're there to expose, Adam. Uh, people have the mindset the government will take care of everything. Well, you know, that's, that's why we're $31 trillion in debt. Look, the, the debt ratio to the size of our economy is worse than what it was after World War II. This is a crisis. It was the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Michael Mullins, during the Obama administration that said, and we agree with this, that the greatest national security threat the U.S. faces is the national debt. And that's where we're at right now. We need to stop spending so much money. And there's three words that we need to do, and that's cut spending, cut spending, cut spending. You know, I have to think of of how um, the left is so happy to point out when there may be an abuse of either campaign funds or federal funds uh, by a Republican, but it's never on the other way around. Uh, Nancy Pelosi at one point ordering a a jet similar to Air Force One because she felt as Speaker of the House she deserved it. No, this this goes shoved into the corner. So we've got to pay attention. If we allow the small guy to get away with it, the guy on the top of the food chain is going to say, hey, if they're not paying attention, let's have at it. And I think that's what's going on with this administration. Now, I was hearing that the Biden administration has just bought a whole mess of uh, radiation medicine because they expect an attack. But this is quietly talked about. I mean, why are we buying this medication when we don't even know if we're going to be needing it yet? Is it it's normal well, to stockpile stuff like that? The world's definitely a dangerous place, um, and, and the Biden administration doesn't have a very good track record on foreign policy. We, uh, we quantified the staggering cost of U.S. military gear left behind in Afghanistan. You know, everyone will remember in August of last year as the Taliban was advancing on Afghanistan, our auditors nailed the number over a 20-year period it was $82.9 billion worth of war gear and training put into the Afghan National Security Forces and the Afghan National Army. Staggering amount, 600,000 weapons, 75,000 military vehicles, 16,000 pieces of night vision equipment. So if we ever go back into Afghanistan, we've lost the nighttime advantage, and that'll come at a significant cost in terms of national treasure and our lives of service members. You know, it's it's amazing, and I'm glad there is open the books that's pointing this out and saying, "Hey, listen, folks, you've got the wool pulled over your eyes. You know, let's let's rein in government, and we have to do that." You know, it's one example that you have was a uh, Baltimore City Council President Nick Mosby, that he was spending taxpayer money to go to the races. <laughs> yeah, he he was literally racing tax dollars away. Um, so the Preakness, the Preakness horse race is held in Baltimore, and the president of the city council there, we found in the, in the city's checkbook, spent $1,100 on parking, VIP dining, and tickets to the Preakness. 
during that weekend in June, I believe it is, um, you know, this past summer. And this is, you know, and nothing happens. You know, I mean, you would think the local state's attorney would investigate, but here's the deal. The local state's attorney in Baltimore is actually his wife, Marilyn Mosby. And she was probably <laughs> with him. That. It doesn't get better than that, folks, does it? <laughs> well, Adam, it sounds like you're in your car and you're on your way to somewhere. I want to thank you for joining us. And you know you're always welcome here because you've got good stuff on your website. You're doing really hard and good work. And people should start really paying attention to it, especially coming up close to this election. And before you pull that lever or you, or you hit that key on the uh, voting machine, Know what the heck your government's doing before you vote. It's one of the reasons why I think Election Day should be moved to the day before you pay your taxes, April 14th. Because you have to write that check. <laughs> You're not going to be voting for someone that's going to misspend your money. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's a lot of fun. It is always, Adam. Have a great weekend, and God bless for the hard work you do, sir. God bless you. All right, Adam, check him out at OpenTheBooks.com. I want to welcome uh, to the show, running for Congress out of Florida's 10th District, Kervin Calvin Wimbish. Welcome back, Calvin. How are you today? I am blessed and so blessed that you and CS and the whole network is out speaking the truth about how we got to save our country. And every day I wake up, I thank God that he's given me another day to add value to our country because... It's a shame when people are giving up on themselves and God, and we need a God-fearing, a, a nation-loving person like me to help change the attitude of people. Uh, it's it's uh, too much divisiveness, fighting one another for, because of color and creed, and we just got to get it together and make sure that we don't do any more harm. So I'm blessed that God has given me this opportunity. Well, I always look at it as we are one people. We are first and foremost children of God, and second, we were blessed to be Americans. So I, I look at it as a, yeah. a twofold blessing. So Absolutely. If we, well, I, we look at that way, how can you divide us? Because we all come from one place, first and first foremost from God, and we are blessed to be here united in one of the greatest nations, no, the greatest nation in the world that it has ever seen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's fun to resonate. Let me just uh, state this up front uh, to those who have heard me before and those who are listening for the first time. It's not easy when you get uh, along your journey of life to step up to the plate and come out of retirement because you want to make sure that uh, you can do the right things right and do it right the first time. And as a Frederick Douglass Republican, which I'm finding out more Americans, both black and people who are not of color, recognize that Frederick Douglass was the first freedom fighter that really made a difference in the Civil War that helped break the shackles and chains. But as my 98-year-old dad keeps reminding me of my 94-year-old mom, who's still alive and married in 77 years, said, the only shackles wow. and, tra- and chains are in our brains. And we have the power to choose to do right, to lift ourselves up out of the, the mire and clay, or we can choose to lie down and expect everyone to do something for us, what we should do for ourselves. I think too many Americans are now have leaned into that part that doesn't bring them back to the center 
for which God is my center. And I truly want to be the advocate for all the people in my district to help re-energize our economy. Our dollar's not worth hardly anything. It's pennies on the dollar right now. And we have to choose between putting food on your table or putting gas in the tank, and the cost of a dozen eggs is just as much as a gallon of gas, but yet you still have to feed your family, clothe your kids, get them to school, pay your rent. It becomes like a dog chasing his tail, and you got incompetent leaders doing everything from taking money out of your pocket and mine, giving away money like paying off college debt when many of my friends never went to college. They're laborers. They work in the hotels. They clean these, these, the, event, the hotels down here in, in Florida. But yet they have to pay the debt of someone who signed on the line, and they don't want to be responsible and accountable. That's where we lose our, our proper understanding. Now that's, that's so very true. And as I was mentioning with Adam before, um, I wrote an answer to an editorial that was in my local paper where he was supporting the um, the college tuition uh, forgiveness, equating it to um, Social Security and, uh, oh, um, uh, Habitat for Humanity, the home buying uh, program, which it's nothing like. First off, Social Security, it's my money. I paid into it. I worked a lifetime investing in that so I have a return. So basically, I lent government my money interest-free for them only to give it back to me without interest. And Habitat, and Habitat for Humanity, they have to – the person that's going to be buying the house, the family that's going to be getting it, they have to work for Habitat for Humanity either helping to build the house, uh, taking the loan buying the program – and they actually take out a loan to buy that house with the help of Habitat for Humanity. They have skin in the game. They have to put in to get back. But for this college tuition, it's a free, it's a giveaway. So what do you say to the guy or gal that worked hard, paid their loan back in entirety? Do you reimburse them? What about people like me that work two and three jobs to pay for my tuition? I couldn't get a loan. Well, what do you do about what I paid out? Do you reimburse me? What about the person, like you said, never went to college? How do you compensate them? So where does it stop? Do you forgive just the college tuition? Or now do you forgive mortgages? Or do you forgive small business loans? Or do you forgive any loan at all? Where where is it where you break a legal contract? So It's It's when you run out of everybody else's money. Unfortunately, I was with several people at an event today called Uplift, uh, hand, hand, give a hand up, uh, not a handout, to the poverty-stricken people of our community. I was there actually sitting at the table with the mayor of Orange County. And the beautiful thing that was said that really made me think, wow, we can all come together, like Martin Luther King once said, is that, when we stop giving a handout to people, make them become accountable and responsible for their actions. So we need to make sure that we as political leaders, which I'm not a politician, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm a concerned citizen that realizes that at some point when you continue to give away other people's money through tax dollars and you start to run out of that money, we're going to be so overly dependent on the federal government and the state government that they, they will now control us 100%. And 
And the, the point of diminishing returns is when everybody's on the street and your dollar's not worth 10 cents. So I, I believe you're right. The time is now. We have to now step up to the plate, stop this uh, giving away America by writing bills in Congress and even in the states, uh, keep giving away welfare to illegals who come across the border. They get more than my fellow veterans that I've talked to on the street down here. Veterans should never be on welfare. But yet a, a person comes across the, the border illegally, and then they wind up taking advantage of us. They get a, a cell phone, a, 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 a card for some money, and puts them on a plane or a truck or a bus, and they move them to places that no one's aware of, and then they dump them, and they say, find your way. Well, we're creating a, a, a chaos, a Marxist scenario that's going to ruin our world at our nation. And we need accountable, responsible leadership, which I believe I can bring along with the other service guys that I've talked to across this nation. There's a six of us, six Green Berets. We're coming. And we're going to not be manipulated or be puppeteers for the establishment. And I don't care if it's the establishment under the right or the establishment on the left. We, the people, must take charge of our nation and, and get it back on its feet, get people up off their butts. Let's go to work. I hate to be frank, but that's the way I think my dad and mom, who were two country kids from Danville, Virginia, they lived on a farm. They grew up in a farm, and my generations before them were all farmers. But they worked hard, and they recognized that a man's got to work to eat. But when you put your mind to it and you work hard, you, you have a sense of different kind of pride. It's got, I earned this. And now you're not looking for a handout. You've got, you've got a hand up in your life. Absolutely. And what people fail to realize, you give that hand out, it's not treated with the same respect as if you had the hand up. You know, you give someone something for free and then you're going to expect more free stuff, more free stuff. Whereas if you work for it, there's pride, there's dignity. You accomplished something. You set yourself a goal and you made it. You tried. And if you didn't make it 100%, you did your best and you tried and should still be pride in that action. And if you can't have that pride, and if you don't have that self-respect, then you don't have it for anyone else. And you're a very miserable person. And, and you're absolutely correct. And uh, I just want the, the people to start being realizing that we can, we can get out of this, this sad loop that uh, – uh, and confident leaders in the, in the White House and in the Congress, they need to uh, stop making us feel that we have to depend on foreign nations. We know when it's a joke that now with the two million barrels of oil is not going to be produced by Saudi and, and Russia had an impact on it. And now we're getting ready to take more money out of our oil reserves. And all that oil that the current administration took out wind up going overseas to China, to Italy, and not into the tanks or the gas stations here in America, and now they drain the reserves to such a degree that our war fighters, our men and women who are willing to put their lives at risk for our country, won't have the kind of resources they need to fight the war, and we don't go to war to just break even. War fighters are, are trained to go to win, but right now we're not winning in our country. We are losing desperately. We are, we've got to stop this and I need people to recognize and close the borders, you know, enforce our national security, adequately fund our law enforcement men and women who are not the enemy. But they need to be able to execute the laws that are on the books and not have this no-bail situation that we find in 
states like New York and California, you can rob somebody, beat them up. God forbid, uh, when I saw the poor lady in New York get murdered and relentlessly beaten, that attitude is already too much in our nation, and it's because we let our doors open, our guard down, and we're, we're hurting ourselves unless we let law enforcement do their job. And those people who are allowing the law enforcement to stand there with their hands in their pockets, I say get rid of the top leaders of those organizations, whether it's the local level or all the way up to the agencies. And those people have been bounced out because they are whistleblowers. They're the ones you ought to bring back and make them the leaders because they'll straighten out what's wrong to make it right. But it's going to take a strong will, strong determination to be true Americans, to love this nation, and be patriotic to the, to the Constitution that is available to all Americans. I've been telling this to the black community. They've got to understand this. Our Constitution now, the shackles are gone. Now, you you hit several different subjects as you were doing that, and I was scribbling notes as you were saying it. You mentioned law enforcement, and, of course, that's near and dear to me. Um, Recently, they took away the, uh, the immunity from law enforcement officers from being sued in certain circumstances. Uh, in other words, if I turned around and questioned someone on the street and they got insulted with the fact I stopped and questioned them, I can be sued. If I turned around and looked at them the wrong way, I could be sued. If they felt that I gave them a ticket which was unjustified, they feel, I can be sued. In the past, law enforcement had that immunity from being sued. So who would want to become a law enforcement today if that immunity no longer exists? Would you be there in Congress to put that back? It's my goal, and I will put it back, because at the end of the day, you know, when I'm in Congress, one of the first things I'm going to do is straighten out some of the the stupidity that's gone on. I will get on the committees, especially those that the Ways and Means, for example, is one of the hardest committees to get on. But getting on so they don't fund things like this 87,000. Uh, IRS agents with guns they want to no 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 we're going to change that to 87,000 again let's take that 87,000 and put it on our borders let's lock that border down let's go in, into the deep part of our countries where we've dumped thousands of illegals and, and go find them and get them incarcerated put them where they need to be and then let's take those people who've been waiting patiently have applied properly and let's get them what they need their their American citizenship and stop letting anybody walks across just say, okay, we'll automatically make you feel as comfortable as an American is. Uh, well, under the Obama administration, I remember when I was doing the show here, uh, I was talking about how he allowed so many porous uh, illegal aliens to come across the border and how yes. the majority of uh, the jails in the United States, over one-third at that time, were full of illegal aliens that had committed crimes in the United States, and they are now incarcerated. Uh, I'm sure that number is astronomical now with everything that's going on. But then you have states like New York that has a revolving door justice with no bail. There's no way of knowing how many are left behind bars and how many are roaming the streets causing additional crimes. We have allowed lawlessness to run our nation and what does Eric Adams do? He calls it a, 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 an emergency because 
Greg Abbott and DeSantis have been sending their illegal aliens to New York City because New York City is a sanctuary <laughs> city. You want them? You got them? Hey, what are you complaining about? You know, this is this is cheap labor we're sending you. What are you complaining about? But well, he does they, They've been called a guard out to uh, to get rid of them after they said, "Oh, we believe in letting all of them in." And as soon as they could, they took and put them out of there. And they called a national guard and threw them out. So that's the hypocrisy <laughs> of everything we're hearing them say and do. Well, you also mentioned you mentioned the military here. And this is something um, I've had several friends who retired recently. One is waiting to retire because of the new wokeness that you have to be careful about what pronouns you use. And when you write letters home to your family, you can't say my mother or father. You can't use those pronouns oh anymore. The wokeness that has been going into our military, plus they're going to in, uh, invest in other sorts of military equipment not something you can use on the battlefield, but other technologies. Well, they want them more technology trained than battle ready. Are, they are destroying our military brick by brick. Uh, how would you end up getting the military back to what you you served in? Well, I think CS and I, Bennett, know. Done things or leading incompetently, you need to relieve them of their command. We have people right now who are making political decisions instead of looking at the Constitution and the intent of what the military is supposed to do to protect our nation against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. When you start work, uh, focusing your energy or not training your military to be the best they can be to win a fight under no all circumstances. But you're teaching them how and what to say when you address a person. This week they talked about how the military didn't meet its quota across the board. They got 20,000 military men and women who are going to be released from the service, great men and women, especially in the special ops community, that are now being forced out, one, because they didn't take the, the jab, two, because they won't go through this woke training of how to let a transgender and decide whether or not they can wear a male uniform or a female uniform. This is going to destroy the, the backbone of what an a army ought to be because we're spending all our time on socialism, if you would, versus being able to be a, com- a country that has strong, focused, team-building men and women who are able to focus on the mission and not worrying about transgender, you know, you got CRT, they're teaching them how, just like you said, how to address someone who wants to be a male today in their mind and a female tomorrow in their mind. Wait a minute, I think archaeologists, since the beginning of time, and until they do find, there's only two genders, male and female, that they've uncovered. But yet we're trying to create a falsehood in the minds of the people today. It's just that you have the will, as if you were God, to and be what you want to be. Oh, by the way, you can change tomorrow again. Or you can use some kind of hard surgery. This is, this is insanity, and we've got to stop it. Yep. Go ahead, Curtis. We lose Curtis? I think we just lost I Curtis. I don't hear him. Oh, my goodness. Got to get the <laughs> CS back. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, you can, you, can you, you hear really me? Touched on it. No, we got yeah, you we now, got you now sir. <laughs> All right. What I was going to say, we we have a weakling in the White House. We have um, Putin um, rattle sabering, and he's talking nuclear, you know, war. And we have China threatening Taiwan. In the United States, we used to be a country who could fight um, two and a half um, global wars, you know, that scenario. What will it take for us to get back into that position where people in other countries, the leadership, won't be so quick to try to, um, you know, instigate trouble around the world because they know they will have to um, answer to us. But right now, I don't even think we could fight a, a, a one one um, sided war with just one country on one side of the, the you know ocean. Yeah, CS, you're spot on. I mean, you look at our logistics, which you know, no military can can do their job without a good strong. Uh, G4 or S4 logistics backbone. We have the money, but it's being routed to the wrong kinds of things. Again, back to the social uh, decision-making. Engineering. Engineering that. And if your logistics fail, you don't have the gas, you don't have the oil, you don't have the parts to to make sure your ships can fail at sea, your airplanes can fly, and your cannons can fire the right kind of munitions to do the things. You're right. We can never be a, a military that was capable to fight multiple fronts and not use all your special ops as the, as the main force, but use them for what they were designed to be. Now we've got the special ops being the main military because the, the rest of the military is broken and people are leaving because they're disgusted with the rules that have now been forced upon them. And we got to remove yeah. the leadership. A lot of people, I, I have many of good friends, I love them. We all serve. They serve with dignity and pride. But when you let politics override your common sense and you let you know, your faith and your country, because three things have always resonated with every constituent I talked to over my time running for Congress here in Orange County. Please go to my website, votecal2022.org. But faith, family, and freedom. And you cannot pursue your inalienable rights to, uh, to achieve good success if, if your backbone of your country is broken. The Tenth Commandment right. gave everything to the states to rule this nation, not the federal government. I get the federal government. We need to return those authorities, and the states need to have leaders who will accept the responsibility to be uh, able to execute and support the people for whom they are elected to serve. And many people are right now in power who are not their weak, very competent, and it's all about the money in their pocket. And I have not gotten a lot of funding from some of the other organizations, especially the National uh, Republican Organization, because most of us special ops guys who are coming out of retirement are not going to be manipulated. We're not going to be puppets on a string like so many are right now. And the dinos and the rhinos got to wake up, get back to what is correct, do the right things right for the people. That's a huge amen on that one. Now, um, you cover the area of around Orange County uh, down in Florida. How did how are you now after Ian passed through? There is there are still pockets. First of all, God bless us when that storm dropped from 155 miles per hour 
down to a Category 1. It came through the central Florida Orlando at about 50 to 60 miles an hour. There's flooding throughout, and uh, but it's in pockets. Uh, I would say most of the city uh, came through very well. But unfortunately, if you look at the history of most of the communities, like here in Orange County, there were areas of community that are basically swamp areas, areas that would naturally flood. And many of those areas are occupied by many of the minority communities. They were known as the red zone when they first gerrymandered where blacks would live and where whites would live way back in. Okay. The infrastructure, though, that needs to be improved or fixed is not where it ought to be in many of these communities where many minorities are doing their best to keep their head above the water, literally. But they've been flooded out. And the, the cities have known for years that these infrastructures should have been repaired. And at the local, county, and city level, shame on them for not doing better before this storm hit. But we didn't learn 10 years ago when the great hurricane came through. We could have done more then, and now it's upon us. But the people are resilient. I'm so We went out, my team and I, we stopped politicking. I stopped my campaign. The day after Ian hit, we were out donating blood. You can go to my website or social media. You can see it's out there pumping blood because the one blood banks needed blood for those who didn't survive. And we got people out there with the food banks, and we also have the uh, people that are working with the uh, sewer, uh, the, the, you know, the infrastructure people to try to get the sewer cleaned up. Uh, we got people on boats and, and that, that took their boats and put them out there because many streets got three or four feet of water that they have to uh, get through, and we helped an elderly, getting them to the doctors, people are using their own cards. So we're, we're a resilient community. I can say that two-thirds of the, the city looks like it's recovering. We just got to do more to uh, stand out our ground and uh, pray to God that he gives us a break on the weather, continue to get those who are in desperate need uh, back to where they need to be. Now, we've been getting reports, and it's been up in uh, Fox News as well as um, the Epic Times, about the electric cars that – President Biden wants us all to be in by 1930 about them exploding because of the lithium in the batteries. Lithium and water do not mix very well, do, do that? No, they don't. No, they don't. And that's the problem. And, that, and that's one of the things, these, these charging stations that they're putting up, again, at the expense of people who are never going to be able to afford an electric car in the short amount of time they want people to have them. By, 19, by 2025 or 2030, and people can barely make it. But listen, we need all kinds of fuels. And fossil fuels and electric, we can work that out together, but don't force a change, a hard stop on what has worked. And we've got 400 years of, of uh, resources in our, in our soil in, in America. We can do better by not forcing this electrical world upon us. I don't even want to drive my truck with $6 a gallon. I don't want uh, my, my life to be uh, put into a position of compromise because we are forcing people to sacrifice getting to work, wind up catching a bus because they can't afford the gas. Then you've got the government forcing you now to take a, uh, and ride a bus that takes four hours to get to work that should only take an hour. Not even that if you drove a car or 30 minutes. So it's, it's a... It's a a weak 
program that is doomed to fail, and we're going to wind up like Venezuela, and I'll, again, we're going to, our country's going to fall on its knees and die. Well, I hope not, because I'd love to see the pipeline get opened up, our, our oil drilling get opened up. I even want to see offshore exploration, because the last series of offshore exploration was done in the 1970s. Using new technology, Lord knows what may be out there five five miles out. If you put a rig out five miles out, you're not going to ruin the view from the beach. It's not going to affect tourism. If anything, it might help encourage a healthier fishery. You're right. You're absolutely right. So, I mean, releasing the oil reserves like he is and now with OPEC cutting it 2 million barrels a day, you're going to see the $6 a gallon gas very soon. And if once gas goes up, everything else, of course, the board also goes up. You were saying how expensive a, a carton of eggs are. Imagine now if we end up with $6 a gallon gas. What's going to cost for diesel fuel for the truckers to transport it? We're going to have to see empty grocery shelves because there's no one to transport the goods. It, it is a, a massive... Snowball, starting off like a little tiny pebble, snowball coming down. We got an avalanche coming on our heads unless we do something now. And the avalanche can, is coming up on November the 8th. I have encouraged people, and I tell you, first of all, register to vote. People, investigate before you invest your, your vote into someone who's not trying to help you help yourself in a country that gives you a chance to rise above. What happened? Did we just lose Calvin? I'm still upstairs here. No, I went through a uh, – I, I was in my car, and the signaling, by the way, has been affected by the storm. The, many of the antennas or towers down here were with, got hit pretty hard. So the signal fades in and out constantly. So I do apologize to my to your audience. Oh, no, that's Can not, you hear that's me now, right. though? Oh, no, we got you. We okay. got you. Now, one of the things I marked <laughs> down – because uh, you were talking about the unconstitutional mandates that Congress and this O'Brien administration through executive orders have imposed on us, either through legislation or these executive orders. And one of these things that is now traveling through that my dear, sweet Senator Lamesy Graham, I mean, Lindsey Graham, is supporting are the red flag laws. Now, uh. these are very, very dangerous because now it does not do give due process to a legal gun owner because someone may have a pissing contest with them and said, I don't, I don't like my neighbor, so I'm going to give them as much trouble as I possibly can. Well, I, I would tell Mr. Lindsey Graham, and I'll tell everyone, let's go back to the foundation, Mr. Lindsey Graham, and the rest of them and those in power. What has the Second Amendment said in the last word? Shall not be infringed, period. And we're trying to give another excuse to go in so that your neighbor can call you out and assume or make an assumption that the next thing you know, the feds will send in the FBI or somebody in uniform to take away your inalienable rights. Not on my watch. And I will fight any congressman or senator who continues to stand for that way of, of uh, addressing what our Constitution has already established, period. We've got to get out of the federal level. Tenth Amendment says put it back in the state's control and hand. 
we need to get guys like me and women like me uh, who are really set on making sure we can make the, the heart, the soul of the Constitution come alive for all Americans. We have to recognize this is the only system that has endured 247 years. And you know what? It's not perfect. But from what I've seen in my years in the military and traveling around this country and around the world, there's not a better system that will work for the people. Because when you talk about your government in other countries, you don't live to see the next day or you wind up in some kind of camp where you wind up uh, not seeing your family again, you never own property again, you'd be lucky if they'll feed you. So I, I think at this coming point, we got less than 30 days, and I'm out campaigning each and every day, up in the morning at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, out the door, going on with doorbelling, with door knocking. We've, we're trying to get on the radio, and some of the radio and TV stations are very biased. And when you look at the top five, I call them the peacock stations because they all basically repeat the same thing, you know, and, uh, and when they try to support what is not working as the, the way forward, no, it's the way forward to being another Cuba or another Venezuela or another Canada. And they're talking about my opponent wants to give, you know, uh, health uh, care rights for everyone at the point of no one who doesn't work will still get the same as those who do work. And it's, you know, it's to hold that kind of mentality that made countries like Venezuela a broke country. We saw it coming, and we see it coming our way. But if you don't stand up and, and people hate to use the word fight, but fight doesn't mean go and burn down your community, the mom and pop stores who are trying to make it. And they can't because the taxes are so heavy, they have to let people go. And then you got more people now that have to go on welfare, or you have people who are still looking for a way to live. You know, it's, it's, a dog, it's a dogmatic stupidity that is going on, and CS was correct. We got a weak-minded people who can't be, they want to be 100% to 100%, 100% effective for 100% of people, but you can't because 100% of people are willing to do their part. Ronald Reagan said it best, the 80-20. And I think if we can, can come together, like Martin Luther King was even saying, where all of us can work together to bring us back to the center of what our country was designed to be through both the political leadership, which they should have more God-fearing and God-loving people in those leadership positions, not worrying about self because it's above self for why I'm running. It's not about me. I'm not going to put my head in the sand like an ostrich and have the other end sticking up thinking good stuff is coming out. <laughs> it's not going to happen. we got to yeah, do our, right, our part. Which end is sticking up in the air? <laughs> it, it, you can see the picture in your mind, I'm sure. And yeah. I'm yeah. just saying, guys, we got to be one in one accord. <laughs> or as, as we say in the South, you let your <clears throat> show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bless her heart. She just screwed her. <laughs> uh, well, well, I'm glad. Yeah, I, I, I was lucky to... Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, oh, no. You were lucky to what? I was lucky to uh, another uh, lady who was on this, the uh, in your network, Southern Sense. Her name is uh, Sally uh, Baptiste, and she bought me on her her show, and we talked about the rule of law, law and ordering versus chaos. And right now, when you look at the candidates on on the, that are on the table across the nation, that's what we're fighting. 
bring on chaos as the new rules, break America's system of law and order down to the point that the federal government will step up like the communists have done, the socialists have done, and they're going to take over and make everybody go lockstep, goosestep, into a way of living where you, you won't be able to go outside your zone without permission. You will not be able to go and buy food in another part of your county or your state, and you won't be able to cross state lines as easily as we do in America. Fifty states are the two states that are obviously not contiguous, and you can go without going through a border crossing and showing your passport. You don't have that freedom in other countries. And now the, the Europeans are realizing, hell, their Euro system is broke, and now they're all going to have an ice-cold winter because they depended on the Russians and others to give them ways of buying uh, their resources from fuel and, and oil and gas, and they're going to shut the pipeline down. And it's going to be an ice age for them because they won't be able to get. They shut their nuclear uh, power systems down. Now France is talking about getting them started up, Germany started. They're going to be a day late and a dollar short again because they keep following that same old logic that doesn't work. Unfortunately. And, yeah, you're right. It's going to be a cold, cold winter. Uh, And they're going to turn around and look to us to bail them out, and we are barely even bailing ourselves out unless we get this nation turned around. And November 8th is a very, very important date. You know, um, one of the things I was going to ask you about is you were talking about supporting a budget amendment to stop Social Security theft. But if you remember when Reagan was in office, uh, he came up with the idea is why don't we allow people to go do their own investment? You know, take X amount of dollars that would normally go into Social Security, allow them to invest it in a private account to hold until they hit that age of retirement. Penalize them if it gets withdrawn, but allow people to control their own money. Why would the government have to do that? And there was a huge pushback on that because Social Security, we know, is going bankrupt. Absolutely. And, you know, when you look at Social Security, what its original design was, it was not intended to be permanent, but now that we have it, it's a shame that politicians over the years kept robbing from the Social Security coffers, and they put in an IOUs, and they never pay back to the Social Security system. And now they always talk about it's going to be broke because look at the other side of it. You keep printing money like there's no tomorrow. It's other people's money. You give it 800 billions of dollars to programs and processes that don't work. And you knew going in, and then, you know, you go back to what Nancy Pelosi said, just sign it, and then you can read what's in the bill. Well, here we go again. How many more of these stupid things that are being spoken by these weak leading, uh, leading the politicians are going to continue to go right past Americans without them saying enough is enough? I know Americans are frustrated as much as I am because they're fed up with this illogical approach to trying to take care of the people. We're elected to be for the people, of the people, and by the people. And I just want to say something real quick, if you don't mind. You know, this came to me when I was talking to several people. And, you know, the people of America in Florida District 10 have told me several things. The Democratic Society, or Socialist Party, as some of them said, is very big on mandates. You know, well, I believe there's time to mandate freedom in America and not not let mandates override us. Freedom from the high cost of gas, food, and electric bills and all of our family expenses. 
I believe as a candidate, I'm the one that's going to work towards and legislate freedom from wide open borders and freedom from crime and freedom to produce and use every form of energy that we can get our hands on. We've got 400 years of resources in the ground. Your freedom of speech it is being compromised by the woke society on, on the Internet as well as on TV when the networks won't even let you come on their programs and they won't let you in the studios because there's a network down here that says, oh, we go by a global mandate because our global or uh, corporation requires us to go by their standards of you must demonstrate you've had at least two, if not three, booster sh- uh, the shots for the COVID, and you can't come in our studios unless you show us your medical records. Give me a break. And then finally I'm talking about freedom of increased taxes from our control over government spending and freedom from man- uh, Democratic Party lies. And the lies is what Booker T. Washington, who I love what he had said, that I, I resonate in my heart and I say all the time to people who would listen. Because he once said, as of once a slave who founded uh, Tuskegee Institution, a lie doesn't become true, wrong doesn't become right, and evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the mass. If he knew that then, and here we are in 2022, still accepting the lie as the truth, what are we doing as a people? We, God gave us a mind to think right. We have the, the potential as well as the choice to do right. Now all we have to do is execute. Let's get on, on uh, point. People vote, but vote with a conscience that you're, if you don't vote, you have nothing to say about the outcome. If you do vote and you know you're voting for someone who's not for you, then you're setting yourself up to become a socialist-driven uh, nation. And most Americans that I hope that I'm talking to you don't need or want that. Let's come together across every state and every, and every city and every hamlet and every county. Let's do the right things right now. America needs God back in its foundation. We need you all to find your right path and do the right things and vote correctly. Well, I think there's a reawakening coming across America. And I think the catalyst that made everyone across the nation to actually pick their heads up and pay attention is the attack on parents by school boards. Oh, How yeah. dare you speak out against a school board? How dare you, a parent, decide that what is being taught in the classroom is not appropriate, age-appropriate for your child? How dare the parent think that you should not be teaching transgenderism to a five-year-old who has no idea, no concept of what sex is, much less gender? How dare you? No, no, you know, the parent has no say in the classroom. The parent has no say (laughs) to the medical wishes. Uh, No, no. So you can mutilate a child. So when they become an adult, they no longer can produce children on their own because you allowed them to mutilate their bodies before they even face puberty. How dare you parents speak out against that? We're so so evil, don't you know that? That's fickle, and that's, that's to me, the blind leading the blind. When I heard uh, this week, and I think it was reported on one of the networks, uh, uh, at the Arnold Palmer Hospital, they were actually doing surgical gender transitions. And they're publicly wanting because there's money coming to them for every one of those they execute. Now, help me understand this picture. 
You're going to have a person who's born what God intended them to be and let their mental decision that I want to be something other than that drive you to have to be mutilated, cut up, changed, and you're not going to be able to produce a child from a man out of a man or a woman out of a woman. God intended it to be just what it has been, what it is, and in honesty, what it will always be. We all have to make sure that we don't say or do those things that's going to create this. And it's a shame there's several uh, places across our nation where they are legalizing uh, the mutilation of children uh, in this transgender world. Uh, even in the schools, when I was teaching up until 2020, uh, it was okay to tell a person, say, well, I'm a, I'm a male today, I'm a female tomorrow, and I want to change my gender. And, oh, by the way, when they uh, different programs like the JROTC, if they had a, 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 an excuse from their parent or a doctor, they were able to be given a male uniform, if, even though they're female by their true uh, gender, or given a female uniform, even though they're male. And that allowed the males to run against the girls in, in all the different uh, sports. We've got a problem. We got a real problem that's got to be changed. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and it starts with changing the education system, which is what the left has successfully done. And one thing the pandemic has shown is school choice, the power of school uh-huh. choice, and the power parents have back in controlling how their child is raised. Well, thank God we got a governor who's pushing that, and no parent is a domestic terrorist. And they have the right, and the money will follow this child. In fact, in schools right now, if a child, if the administration is doing something, whether it's a, in the, uh, the principals or the leadership, or the, a, a kid is harassed or put at risk, there is a law in the state of Florida. The money will follow the child, and they can enroll that child in a private school, a parochial school, even virtual school. And the money that the school used to keep will follow the child to where they can get the better education, even if they're homeschooled. Well, because of the pandemic, we've got entire generations of kids that are growing up that are so far behind in actual true learning, classical learning, reading, writing, arithmetic, and at the same time, their social skills are poorly, poorly developed. Um, What do you foresee uh, a change in the education system doing for children such as that? It's going to be a not. Uh, it's going to be a. They didn't one. They may have to extend the school year to catch up because the weeks that we take away from being in class and uh, not being able to uh, use the standard uh, time off. You know, all these holidays they're giving the, the people. We need to stop that. We need to uh, give uh, more teachers who have been. Uh, there's a lot of teachers who are not even being employed because they won't teach against the woke society agenda. We need to turn that back over so that people can uh, still get their lessons and learn uh, more often. So I would say it's school that doesn't have to end in May. Extend it for another month. I'd rather have that extended time to have the students get quality education and get these these woke books out of the system, books that are trying to show where a transgender uh, or can tell a boy that you can dress like a girl and act like a girl. You know, so I, I think we just need to extend the school year, and I think the states have that power. In fact, I think that the uh, Department of Education 
needs to be abolished to return that power back to the state. I know Governor DeSantis, he's, he's doing many of the things that people are not happy with, but it's the kind of things that's going to make a difference. Now, one of the things you addressed, which we've talked about many times on the show in the past with some of our military experts, is electromagnetic pulse, the EMPs. Now, with Russia rattling its sabers, they don't necessarily have to lobby um, a nuke into the heart of Manhattan. They all to do is explode it above and knock yes. out the entire energy grid. So, you know, you may not be killing people on the ground with a direct hit of the weapon, but what you will do is slowly kill them because of lack of power. And at one point, um, the Obama administration was talking about uniting all of the power grids into one massive national network. That's not a good idea, is it? No, it's not. In fact, when you look at the energy grid, it's already so weakened that uh, out in California, they even said, we're going to have brownouts. So all of you with electric cars that, that they want everybody to have, uh, don't charge your electric car. Okay, so don't go to work. Then you can't get home from work. You can't go and try to go to the store because you've got the grid so weakened like it is right now that every time we have a storm or we have maybe, a, God forbid, EMP, we shut down the nation. Then there goes your generators that power our country right now, our businesses, our electrical system that's supposed to give us the light and things that we need. It's, it's a ridiculous uh, way of thinking it's okay to uh, continue to think that the, the, the enemy, they're smart. They're watching us really dissolve in terms of our structure, our infrastructure to the point that they can, they can take a, uh, uh, what I'm thinking is the electronically, uh, using the uh, uh, internet, if you would, or whatever is controlled, they can jumpstart or stop systems just by the flip of a switch. And the Russians and the, and, the, and the Chinese are already doing it in many ways. Every time you look up, there's another property being bought by the, the uh, Chinese that is right next to a military base. Now, help me understand, in the middle of, of the, our country, all these military bases where our silos are, if they're doing that, they're going to be able to set up ways that you won't be able to launch a system because they can set up electronic uh, compromising devices that's going to make it shut down. You won't be able to fire. So what do you do there? We're still at, a, at between a rock and a hard place when it comes to not being smart about managing what we have to do to help our country stay afloat. Well, how do we shield ourselves against these EMP attacks? As far as shielding, now that part is, is, is a complicated answer because we right now have uh, not developed the, the type of technology that's going to shield us from it. And if it is available, it is really in the hands of our military in terms of what they are capable of uh, protecting our soldiers from. But right now, we can shield by stopping this, uh, this creep on our nation by other nations buying up all of the facilities and uh, overpowering us. I mean, you look at our uh, communication grid. It's not just the, uh, the uh, what have we had with AT&T and, uh, and Verizon and all these different companies, but how they're not being properly managed. And that's what's going to hurt us. So until we get the resolution, that the, that's something that the federal legislators can begin to invoke and protect the entire nation 
when that kind of thing happens. But it's going to take some true grit to get to that level, and it's going to take men and women to get it voted in so we can sit down and, and, and examine just what is happening to us from afar and what we can do to change that direction. Well, they're talking about expanding the IRS with this new um, Inflation Reduction Act that does not reduce inflation by adding 87,000 armed IRS uh, uh, agents to the IRS. And there was a study done, I believe it was in Newsmax, uh, showing that the number of people and the income brackets of the people that are going to be audited the most are those that are from zero to 75,000 and 75,000 to 200,000. But that's not what we were promised. The same way they said right. when they passed the constitutional amendment to create an income tax, they said, oh, no, only the top 10% will ever pay <laughs> income tax. They lied to us then. They're lying they to lied. us now. Yeah. So would you swap that income tax for something, say, the fair tax? I, I would definitely look at that as an option, a better option than what we're faced with, because right now this perpetual lie is not going to get us anywhere, none, nowhere whatsoever. So that's something that I will definitely put on my my agenda to develop an understanding and work towards a writing and creating a bill that will hopefully become law so that we can fix that problem. But uh, right now the income taxes and how they're taxing people is way out of line. You know, the the deductions that many of us knew about you know, 10, 15 years ago, which really helped uh, release some of the burden on the taxpayer and they'll be able to get uh, deductions on their home better. They, you know, if they had a mortgage, they got better uh, relief from that. They were all gone. And uh, the middle income and the lower income people, they're not getting any breaks whatsoever. So the tax laws uh, are hurting our middle uh, small businesses. And uh, they can keep uh, people employed because their overhead and their costs are, uh, in terms of their, their margin of profit is such that they can't afford to keep where they had a dozen people working. They have to maybe release half of them. And they have to use technology to offset that. Pretty soon the burden is on them so much that uh, they may have to shut down their business because they're, they're taxing people out of business. So they I are. appreciate that. Well, and I'm work towards fixing that problem. Well, they can, people that want to support you uh, can go to votecal2020.com and help support your campaign. Colonel Calvin Wimbish, I thank you Actually, for joining us. And you know, what's that? Is it dot org? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> votecal2022.org. Votecal, okay. V-O-T-E-C-A-L, 2022.org. All right, Cal, we wish you a lot of luck, and God bless, and you know you're always welcome back here anytime. I'll be back before November 8th, and I pray on on November 9th. We're going to have a big celebration on the air. Oh, fantastic. Take care. God bless. Take care. Check it out. All All right. Vote vote cal2022.org. I am corrected. I want to welcome our final guest of the evening, uh, Richard Stern with the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon, Richard. How are you today? Hi, doing well. Thanks for having me on tonight. Oh, it is my pleasure. My pleasure. You know, reading some of your articles up on the Daily Signal and on Heritage, oh, it, it just gets gets your, your blood boiling. 
um, you you were tackling a couple of recent things that happened. One is the appropriations bill, and you write six important issues about that. Um, where do we stand right now on the appropriations bill? Because I did not turn the news on today, so I'm a little about 24 hours behind. Well, boiling blood is usually is my usual state when it comes to what the Democrats are doing with our with our money, right? So. The, the thing at the moment is Biden signed a continuing resolution, so the government is funded to December 16th. But in the lame duck, and you know how politicians love to do things in the lame duck, we're now going to have to have a vote on yet another funding bill. So part of what my colleagues and I have been putting together is, and, and you were talking about in this op-ed, are all of the things that we would like lawmakers to keep in mind. So here's a perfect example, of course. The, the president, President Biden and the Democrats have asked for tremendous increases in discretionary spending. There's no reason for this money. And if the government spends more money and spends even more than it's planning on spending, all it's going to do is increase deficits, which is going to increase inflation, and is going to take more money out of your wallet. Right now, the average American worker is seeing a loss of $3,000 in annualized income just from the inflation caused by government spending alone. So one thing we would encourage lawmakers, of course, is keep discretionary spending levels as low as possible. Don't let Biden slip in a large spending increase in the land duck. But then there are other things, of course. Biden doesn't want to do anything to secure our border, right? He wants to get rid of the protections that are in these appropriations bills to make sure that your money doesn't go to fund Planned Parenthood or abortions, protections we've had for decades to make sure there isn't public funding of abortion clinics. There are things like that that are, that are, are at stake here for these next funding bill votes that we're going to have the next one's on December 16th. Yeah, I was I I have little squiggles all over the page <laughs> circling and everything. <laughs> so, you know, you know I read it. I read this. Um well, we appreciate with the border it. your border security almost 300,000 unaccompanied children, uh, alien illegal alien children have crossed the border either with someone claiming to be the family or actually trafficked. Um we're looking at the continuing resolution would give another $1.8 billion to the Department of Health and Human Services Administration for these children and families. But lo and behold, who is administrating these services? It's the NGOs, the non-government aid organizations, of which you have the Catholic bishops, you have the Lutherans, you have all these religious uh, institutions raking in our tax dollars to accompany illegal alien, illegal alien children, and they get big bucks per per body. I'll give you another one even on top of that, to, to your point on that. So, you know, we've had buses that have been run by these organizations on behalf of the Department of, of Homeland Security that have been caught by police and flagged for human trafficking to then end up with the police tracking down through different phone logs eventually getting to DHS, who then says, oh, yeah, that's one of our affiliate organizations, the groups you're talking about, that are getting taxpayer money. So, what? I mean, look, we all trust the government to run completely incompetent organizations and operations. That's nothing new. But how incompetent, how disorganized does this government have to be under President Joe Biden? The local police are literally pulling over these buses because they think they're trafficking people. And apparently, they're being funded by your and my taxpayer dollars as part of the operations you're talking about. I, how ludicrous is that? 
It, it is absolutely crazy. We've been talking about, you know, these NGOs and the money they're breaking in hand over fist. And yet they don't pay taxes because they're a religious organization. So they're getting both ends of a sweet deal. Absolutely. I think the other part of this, right, that, that's, that's very clear, is that this allows President Biden and his political appointees to defer the blame to somebody else. They, they, they can, they've been able to run this incompetent operation, not securing our border, helping coyotes implicitly to traffic many of these kids. And they get to say that their hands are clean because, to your point, it's the NGOs handling it. It's devolved to local and state governments. They're just the ones moving the money around. It's your money, and this is what they're doing with it. And this is one of those things where, again, you know, my colleagues and I have pushed to have real robust border security, to have real transparency for taxpayers, to know what's going on, to know that we're not just accidentally or perhaps not supporting trafficking operations, but to make sure that we are really securing our border, treating people with respect, and really respecting the, the American citizens and taxpayers that fund these operations. You know, I love when I put shows like this together because one guest flows into the next who flows into the next. Because before uh, Calvin Wimbish was running for Congress out of Florida District 10, I had Adam Androjewski of Open the Books on. And I've, next week I have Andy's, uh, Adam's friend and my friend, uh, Mark Tapscott from the Epic Times. So this just keeps flowing. And we, we've been talking about this, uh, but... We now need to get our elected officials to pay attention to this. And November 8th is a pivotal day, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I always tell people is it's very important to get lawmakers' attention, but, but part of it is we need to get voters' attention. Because at the end of the day, it's the voters and the voting public that has the opportunity to hold lawmakers accountable. And, you know, one of the things that we do at the Heritage Foundation is we write to everybody. We write for an audience of the entire country, not just policymakers. Because we want to put forward these kinds of facts to do what, what your friends are talking about as well, to really make sure that the American public has the information, the tools that they need to be able to see the government respect them and operate the way they would want in concert with their values. Yeah, well, my, dear to my heart, because I've read the book, I have the signed book of the Fair Tax by both authors, and when I saw that this bill includes 87 thousand armed IRS agents being added to government, doubling the size of the agents uh, in the IRS. And when I looked at what was being written about who is going to be the, the eye of the audit, small businesses and low and middle class taxpayers, they're not going to go after the big guys with the big bucks because they have the attorneys. They're going to go after the easy prey, you and me. They're also the ones making the political donations, right? So to, to your point on that, half, more than half actually of IRS audits are of people making less than $75,000. In fact, 80% of IRS audits are on people making between zero income and $200,000 in income. And, and to your point on this, you know, one of the jokes I've told people, but it's, it's, it's no joking matter, 87,000 of the new uh, army they're raising for the IRS, that's more men than the union had at Gettysburg or right about. And that gives you an idea of what Biden's trying to do and what the Democrats are looking to do here, which is they want to continue weaponizing the IRS, right? They want to continue being able to use the IRS to chase down political opponents, to scare nonprofits that are actually doing good work but might have a conservative bent to them. And to your point also, this is going to be kicking down the doors 
of middle-income Americans, of average Americans, of small business owners. I, you know, in, Jan, in Janet Yellen's statement on the matter, she said, oh, we're not going to go after small businesses. The next paragraph, though, she said, we're going to have a robust attack on pass-throughs, which is the technical term for small businesses. So right there, crystal clear as day, she's announced, of course, to your point, that's their intention is to go after the American small businesses that are the backbone of the economy. <laughs> Well, you know what scares me the most? Hang on, just let me follow through this one, Chris, and I'll I'll let you go through the question. But what scares me the most about these IRS agents, the agency, the one agency I'm talking about between local, state, and federal, the one agency that has the most mishandling of firearms, either lost or accidental discharges, are agents in the IRS. And they're adding 87,000 new armed agents that couldn't use a water pistol much less a firearm. That scares me. Go ahead, Curtis. That scares me, too. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, isn't it about time that um, we speak up and make this a part of our platform that going into the future, our Republican leaders and members of Congress go after the bureaucracy and – demilitarize them, you know, take away all of that, that power that they have. I think we need to be making sure that they, they know this is something that we want. Um, in addition to um, securing the borders and everything else that we have on our platform. But I don't really hear much of that, you know. We have to get the bureaucracy under control because um, it's just out of hand. Now, I absolutely agree. I'll tell you this. The the Heritage Foundation has done what it can, of course, to put forward exactly what you're talking about. Civil service reform is something that we talk about a lot, that you have these bureaucrats that are unaccountable, that are not elected by the American public, that have no uh, uh, accountability to them whatsoever, that have no transparency in what their actions are. And then to your point, they're the ones, of course, who are mishandling firearms, who are breaking down doors and doing all these other things. Now, we'll tell you, to your point – it's hard sometimes to get politicians to care about these things, but at least one thing that we have the position of the Heritage Foundation to do is we put out research on the things you're talking about. We put out op-eds to highlight these issues, to really highlight how the federal bureaucracy is abusing the American public and abusing the money that, that they steal from us through taxes to be able to do these things. I mean, a perfect example on that, by the way, is the, the job-killing, wallet-crushing impact of federal regulations is roughly a quarter of our entire economic productivity year over year. You don't see that number formally put forward anywhere. There's no real congressional oversight over it, but it's less to organizations like the Heritage Foundation that put that number together to try to make exactly the case you're making, which is it's these federal bureaucrats, not elected officials, who are the ones who really have control over the country and the control over every aspect of your life in many ways. And when they unionized, that made it twice as worse. Uh, it's one thing when you get a bureaucrat in there and they're not unionized, but now as unionized, they control the budget and the salaries. They actually are, are giving themselves raises. They are now putting in regulations or recommendations that has the full weight and power of a law, including civil and criminal penalties. There's no legislation. These are just... A, Bureaucrats sitting behind a desk going, hey, it might be just really funny that if you let your cat out after 9 o'clock at night, we can fine you $1,000 and give you 10 days in jail. And it's law. And to your point, by the way, one thing I would remind all of your listeners, and and, and to your great point on that, 
unions are governments. They're, they're not some pro-labor thing helping workers. They're an arm of the government. They're created by governments to give the union bosses command over your wages, to be able to take money straight out of your paycheck to fund God knows what they do. And to your point on that, you know, the traditional idea of a union, go back 100 plus years, was it was supposed to be there to help workers. If you're working for the government, why do you need a union? You're not Thank at you. the whim of some private sector entity. So really, to your point, it's a government that provides shielding for union bosses against the parts of the government that you and I and the voting public actually have control over. So it's a sh- it is literally a shadow government designed to give these union bosses the ability to do things outside of what the American public can actually require of them as an arm of the government. It's, it's absolutely and, second one. I, I absolutely agree with you on that. And then the members of the union are mandated to pay dues to the unions, which then in turn donates that money to the very people that will keep them in power. Gee, and that would not be a conservative arm of the government, would it be? Absolutely not. And I, I'll give you another one. I'll, I'll give you what I think is a very scary trend on this. So I used to be a congressional staffer, as you, as you can imagine. So I used to do – I know where you're going. Kind of, yeah. I, I know so exactly what, where you're going. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, so, right, right. So, so what's happened is for the longest time, for basically the entire history of Congress, members of Congress chose their staff. It meant that when you elected someone to Congress, they had control over who they hired, who was on their staff – who was there to advise them to do constituent work, et cetera. It meant that you as a voter, when you got somebody into office, that person had an entire team that was accountable to you. Now what's happening is the Democrats in Congress have been pushing for unionization of congressional staff. In fact, there have been a few Democrat offices that have now voted formally to form unions. And in the public release messaging they've put out, they've said proudly on there, that individual congressional staffers would now be barred from talking about all the different aspects of their, of their work, of their pay, of everything from the employers, the members of Congress. It starts stripping control away from members of who works in their offices and how those people handle working with their constituents, including, by the way, things like casework. Members of Congress hire people that actually help people back home in their districts dealing with, with filing for Social Security benefits, things like that, getting passports, all manner of other things. So now you're looking at a Congress where the members of Congress, sure, they're elected, but no one that works, air quotes, for them actually works for them. They're going to be somebody selected by a union, beholden to the kind of union bosses you're talking about, and it means that you, the voting public, sure, you might be able to say you voted for some member of Congress, but none of the things that will happen on the Hill, none of the things that, they, that they're involved in will have anybody there that they wanted or anybody that you had any kind of say in putting there. It's going to bureaucratize the last part of the federal government that you and I and voters have any real direct control over. It's crazy. So you have someone that is a highly conservative individual who gets elected to a seat that was extremely blue. So the staffers are all leaning blue, extremely blue, and you're trying to do something for your constituents. So you say to your staffer, well, Let's get a hold of so-and-so. They need help with their Social Security benefits. And staffers go, yeah, yeah, right, right, whatever. It's another form of quiet quitting, but just exactly. government authorized. Yep, absolutely. And it's going to start being, at least right now, right, for the most part, a lot of staff in congressional offices, certainly a lot of the ones that handle that kind of casework, they're from the district, they're from the communities. 
you're going to be looking at unionized congressional staff that are from D.C. that came out of some kind of political organization in D.C. There's no ties to the district. There is no kind of honorability or tethered to community service or anything of that nature. These are going to be political lackeys and union lackeys that are now running Congress. Just, just another layer of bureaucracy, and then we, the people, lose our republic once and for all. And this is one thing we've got to stop. We've got to have that red tsunami, and we've got to get each and every voter out there educated. You know, we were talking earlier about this student debt amnesty, and just when we think it was not placed anywhere, wording in this just does not prohibit the administration from doing it anyway. Absolutely. And, you know, the administration said it was going to cost just $300 billion, as if $300 billion of your dollars isn't a lot of money, right? But even then, it, right now, the estimates that are coming out, formal estimates, is it's going to cost probably in excess of a trillion dollars to do that. And then to your point on that, what, it, what is it, right? So, so Biden is, is like confusing the issue to try to make it obscure to people what's going on. Here's what it is. The central government with your taxpayer money has played a banker, offering close to $3 trillion in lending to various entities, a lot of its student loans. You didn't know that you were running a banking operation with your taxpayer dollars. Well, now you do, right? That's what the federal government's been doing with your tax dollars. So what Biden decided to do was say, you know what, actually, I want to just disappear from – I just want to evaporate a trillion dollars worth of assets owned by taxpayers – paid for by taxpayers, which means who's going to be the people that ultimately bear the burden of this? Taxpayers, people that work that draw on income. Think of it another way as well. Who are the people that are even getting the direct benefits from this loan forgiveness? They're people that that have college degrees. In many cases, they're people that have graduate degrees. In fact, a lot of the people that have the highest forms of debt are people that go into professional settings, lawyers, accountants, doctors, they would be able to pay that loan off eventually. But instead, Joe Biden is taking money effectively from blue-collar workers, from people who didn't go to college but have been working a solid job their entire lives. He's going to take money from them to pay off this trillion-dollar boondoggle for people that mostly vote Democrat. Not that there's any necessary relation between the two, but it's an important fact to remember. Well, you know, this bill does nothing to reduce the recession. Or reduce inflation. Matter of fact, we're going to see because of this, we're going to see fewer jobs here in the United States. Yeah, and in fact, the dynamic estimates are that the the misnamed Inflation Reduction Act are going to cost a million jobs across the United States. In fact, probably going to reduce economic output by twelve hundred dollars per family. We're already in a recession. We already have a contracting GDP. Is this really what we need? The bill is. $4,500 in taxes per American household in it, as well as all the other things we were talking about. They're going to help to drive up inflation. They're going to help to continue to reduce the economy. This bill really had – the only people's interest that this bill had in mind are the politically connected that are getting subsidies out of it. You know, there's so many wrong things in this, and we're going to be paying for this for decades, if not more. But uh, they claim they're going to make health care more affordable. Well, at once the Obama administration passed the Obamacare Act, health care has not been anything but affordable. 
<laughs> Absolutely. I, and to that point as well, so you know, one thing the Democrats have been running around saying, of course, is that this bill had price controls to reduce the cost of drugs. Let me translate that out of, out of their jargon speak on that. What this bill does is it says the drug makers, when you're charging the government money for a drug, you can't charge them the full price. So who are drug makers going to have to charge the full price to? Everybody else. That's exactly what's going to happen. There are real costs of production to make these drugs. There are real research costs that are required. And, and you know, there, there are a lot of flows that run around and say, oh, these drugs are more expensive than the research that was put into that drug. Sure, but that's because these companies need to have a thousand different drugs that they're testing, a thousand different attempts they're making at making a good drug, only to have 999 of them fail, be a dead end scientifically speaking, just to get the one in a thousand that actually will save lives and help cure diseases. So the price that they need to charge these drugs for isn't just the production cost of that drug. It's not even just the research cost of that drug. It has to carry the weight of the research for the other 999, because that's the chance you have to take to get drugs to actually save lives. So what did this bill do? What are the Democrats' response to that? Is to say, fine, but I don't want to take up the burden of it. You go charge the rest of the American public. You go charge private health insurance that people get through their employer, right, where most people get their insurance from. You charge them for the cost of all of that. That's all this bill is doing. It makes the federal balance sheet look a tad bit better in terms of drug prices and throws all of that cost onto the rest of the American public, increasing all of our health care spending. Now, the people that are going to hit the worst on this are the low income and middle income, because then they'll have to make a decision between the high price of gas, the high price of other all goods and services caused by the high price of gas, the increase of inflation on the overall economy, plus now add in higher drug costs. Now you have a choice. You get gas in your car so you can go to work and earn money, or you end up taking public transportation to save money so you can put food on the table and afford your drugs. But something's going to have to give, either the food or the drugs, and it's going to be the drugs. And we're going to see health care in this country actually decrease in quality, and we're going to see a higher death rate, all because of a bill like this. And this is the tragic reality of what Joe Biden and his congressional allies have been doing, to your point. They like screaming at the economy. They like looking at everybody else who's working hard, who's doing the kinds of things you're talking about, and saying, you're not being good enough. Of course, they don't do anything. But what they want is to regulate you, to tax you, to have all of these different things that take money from you and hand it to the people they're friends with. Let me tell you the, uh, the alternative approach. The alternative approach, which the Heritage Foundation puts up, and we just put up in our blueprint, which is our federal budget alternative, is an approach where we believe in people. We do the things to get government out of the way, to get burdens off of your backs, because we know deep down the American public can provide for themselves. Every piece of technology in your life, every disease-carrying drug that we have, every modern convenience that makes life better, that allows us to feed our families, etc., all of those technologies were invented by a person, by a group of people. There was no government that invented any of that. There's no government that built that. These are all factories that are run by people, produced by people, inventions made by people who dreamed of a better future. That's where the economy comes from. Our approach is to help them, to get the government out of their way so they can innovate and they can build the things that make it so that, to your point, you don't have to choose between gas and food and life-saving drugs. If we embrace these things that give us pro-growth taxes, get regulations out of the way, that get inflationary pressures from the government out of the way, that cuts government spending, 
that gives you back the money you earn, that's what we'll get. We'll get the kind of economy we had in the 80s under Reagan and under Trump just a few years ago where everybody's incomes were going up and where far fewer people had to make the kind of Sophie's choice that you're talking about. Well, Richard, it has been a pleasure having you here, and I hope you join us again. Tell Tom you want to come back on that crazy lady show. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I, good talking to you, and I have a pleasure meeting you, and I appreciate you having me on here. Thank you. All right. Check out Richard Stern at heritage.org. Curtis, we're down to our last four minutes on the show. Man, these these hours just went by. Uh, I want to welcome those that showed up the last five minutes of the show, and we know who we're talking about here. Just throw your pop in the studio. I want to thank you, everyone, that uh, joined us over on Blog Talk Radio chat room, up on Facebook and YouTube, and my uh, own page. I want to say thank you for all your great comments, and you are great guests, and I love you all. Have a safe, healthy, and happy weekend, and we will be, 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 be back Ted Yoho. with uh, Ted Yoho will be co-hosting uh, with me, uh, I think maybe for the next couple of shows, while Curtis takes care of some stuff there, um, and we'll have Mark Tapscott, uh, and we're lining up great guests already. So I want yeah. everyone to have a happy healthy uh, weekend and we'll see you next Friday same bad time Curtis same bad station yep. and I think All right. good night God bless and I'll leave you with a song by my friend Gary Pecorella Save America I'm free
With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.